Hello and welcome to episode 56 of the Cadaver Lab Podcast. I'm Mike. And uh, this week we have a bunch of movies that we're going to be talking about that were all randomly chosen. We just kind of figured, out, ah, let's just get some movies that, we, that have been out that we just haven't had a chance to see but really wanted to see. And uh, let's just check them out. So that's what we got for this week. Um, also, I wanted to mention that uh, we also, I mean, we always... Um, you know, give you guys our voicemail line. We do appreciate all the feedback that we get. Uh, the voicemail is 206-339-2730. We also mentioned that, uh, you know, you can email me or Johnny at uh, Mike at CadaverLab.com and Johnny at CadaverLab.com. But I also wanted to make sure that you guys have uh, the email addresses and are shooting some feedback. Uh, to the other guys who help out with the show, we got Gray from uh, the Dark Hours podcast who does our awesome Slasher Central segment. Uh, his email address is... The dark hours at mail.com. We also want to uh, give you guys Aaron's address, email address. He does uh, the, obviously, the, it came from the public domain segment, uh, Aaron at cadaverlab.com. And of course, Ferguson, Ferguson at cadaverlab.com. Uh, the Fagina Monologues. You're going to have to ask him why exactly uh, he named him that. But uh, actually, I, anyway. Uh, but last but not least, of course, is uh, the illustrious Stephen from JFMP. His email address is podcast at jafmp.com. Go ahead and shoot out some uh, feedback for those guys and just let them know what a great job they're doing. And uh, other than that, uh, let's get on with the show. Now it's time for Cadaver Classics. Hello and welcome to Cadaver Classics for episode 56. I am Mike and with me as always is the pod god, Stephen Thompson. How's it going? It's going well, my friend, and yourself? Not bad. Good. You know, you, you know what's funny is I, I love how we always like talk about how things are going and then like we pretend to ask each other, you know, once yeah, we exactly. start the recording going. Yeah, because we already know there's nothing fucking going on. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I can't speak for Steven, but uh, I am one of the most boring human beings on the planet. Um, I would say that about Steven, but I don't want to hurt his feelings. Oh, no. I, as everyone knows, I'm quite the dynamic personality. Um, I've spent the past, my entire weekend, uh, the party animal that I am, made it through an entire season of Doctor Who and a couple of old Bogart movies. Wow. Wow. What? No beer, no liquor. I you know, no I find women. that I find it's... that hard to believe. And I don't and I don't mean anything by that. I'm not trying to infer anything. I just find that hard to believe. No, yeah, it's it's true. Uh this was a lazy fucking weekend for me. I mean, <laughs> fuck, all I did last week was fucking work. So Yeah. Yeah, so fuck it. No midgets, no uh No midgets, no like transsexuals, uh, no balls getting caught in places balls should never be. Um at least uh, just, <laughs> you just can't my say own. That. <laughs> you know, you know, I mean I, I was experimenting with them, but we'll <laughs> save that for another time. Oh, that's freaking great, man. Yeah. That's- <laughs> I'm just I'm just glad you haven't lost the lust for life to to still be experimenting with your balls. Well, you know, I mean, they are pretty fascinating. I don't know if you, I'll, 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 when was the last time you saw my balls? Whoa! Uh, we, last time I saw them? 
Yeah, because really I've been doing amazing things with them since then. Well, I just um, remember that time you jumped out of your uh, that, that uh, Cessna and uh, your chute didn't fly out, so you grabbed your balls and, and, and just used those as the parachute down, your sack. Uh, that's true. And then, of course, there was the time when uh, my life raft got stranded at sea and the... You know, the other seven passengers probably would have died had I not uh, made a makeshift sail from my scrotum. Or how about that so, time you were at the circus and uh, the one of the trapeze artists, during their death-defying stunt with no net, fell, and you quickly ran down there, hooked up your sack to the poles, stretched it out, and he landed safely. Yes, that was, uh, I don't like to brag. <laughs> But yeah, that was a, that was a good moment. You know what's disturbing? Read the local paper. Is it, is that just came to me. Yeah, and that is disturbing. That I mean, it's uh, funny or not. I, I'm not going to make any judgment calls. the The fact of the matter is, it's disturbing that that came into my brain at that moment. Well, I remember and remember the one time I was out with all those Girl Scouts and it started raining, oh, and <laughs> we had to make a makeshift shelter. <laughs> Well, they kept playing tetherball. That's yeah. bad, man. They kept dry and learned a few things. Oh, I am sure. About life. <laughs> oh, his- and ever since then, I get free fucking cookies. So. <laughs> oh, man. That mm, seems thin mints. <laughs> that seems worth it to expose your, your uh, scrotum. Yeah, absolutely. People people don't realize the advantages of being an exhibitionist. <laughs> wow, you know, I'm not really shocked that that our conversation went there, but uh, yeah, that I, is pretty sad because because we were just, I mean, our our pre show warm up was so fucking lackluster. It yeah. was like, oh my god, yeah, we we're all right. Yeah, we're, we're, we're this guy. Right. This sucks. Yeah, and all blah, of a sudden, blah, blah. turn on the recorders, balls. That's when the magic happens. Apparently. We we do well under pressure. Or that's we right. uh, talk about balls when we're under pressure. That's, well, you know, it's it's like Alice Cooper used to say, you know, he would never drink when he was on stage because of the adrenaline rush. He didn't need the alcohol. But when he was off stage, his life sucked so bad that, you know, he had to fucking stay drunk. Wow. And I think that's what we're experiencing here. Uh <laughs> The, adre- the, mic, the, mic, the adrenaline the mic, of podcasting. That's right. The mic is on. The magic happens. Yes. And you, lovely internet listener, get to experience all of it. Oh, wow. And all uh, its scrotumal, scrotumnal, is that a word? Scrotumnal glory. You know what? I, am, I, I do not want to look that up because if that's not a word, I'm going to start using it. I th- I scrotumnal. Think said, Mr. Scrotumnus. Scrotumnal. Yes. Scrotumnality. <laughs> oh shit! Oh, that's great, man. <laughs> well, actually, uh, we were we're uh, planning on talking about House on Haunted Hill today. Oh yeah, you know, nineteen fifty nine. Um, I guess we can get right into it. I didn't mean to cut you off if we had more ball sack stuff to talk about. No, I think we can save some of that for uh, next week. <laughs> okay, well, I'll definitely I'll be more prepared for the ball sack talk next week. Oh, just teasing. Anyway, um, first of all, House on Haunted Hill, uh, classic from 1959, directed by William Castle. You, you finally got uh, Netflix streaming on your uh, Wii. On my Wii. That's one of the greatest inventions of all time, the Netflix streaming. Oh, oh my God, I fucking love it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've 
fucking burning through Doctor Who episodes like fucking crazy. <laughs> and but, but what really sucked is this movie was not fucking on there. What one? Oh, oh yeah, uh, that's right. Uh, it's in the public domain and everything. Yeah, I know. So it's like, man, I've got to like, find one of my 30 copies I have yeah, laying around here. Exactly. You, you spend... Uh, you spend like eight bucks on a, uh, a bunch of different uh, public domain collections, and you have this movie fifteen times. Oh yeah, you know, it's scattered yeah, exactly. throughout. Um, my prize <laughs> copy of it is uh, is a double feature with uh, the Last Man on Earth. Uh-huh. It's a Vincent Price double feature I picked up for ninety nine cents at oh, a yeah. fucking drugstore. Nice, dude. So it's like, you know, all right, sweet, two great fucking movies for a buck. That you know, that's definitely a bargain, and yeah. that's PD. I assume that's PD if it was on that. Uh, yeah, it's that it's public computer. domain as well. That's cool, awesome. Uh, well, yeah, this one was You're directed by about it? what? You're talking about it? No, 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 no. You got to realize, okay. I got to hurry the jazz tip off here pretty quick. Oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, the Capitals are out of the fucking playoffs. Sports is done for me until like fucking August when NFL preseason starts. <laughs> well, come on, some of us still enjoy real sports like basketball. Oh, 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 that was just cold, right? No, I, I, see, I think what what you here's here's what I think. You and the basketball thing, uh-huh. you you remember the days like growing up when all these guys were running around wearing the little short shorts, and I think that is what you're really looking for in a game. You know what? I I don't want to give any credence to that. However, John Stockton of, of the you know the Utah Jazz back in the day. Uh, yeah, he wore the shortest and tightest shorts of anybody else in the NBA. Coincidence? Maybe. Maybe not. I don't. I, I, <laughs> I don't know how coincidental uh, his tight outfit and your homosexuality really are. Listen, you know what? I I am I am open and free and okay with myself. Okay. Is that yeah, is that uh, cool? And as as am I with my scrotum. Wow. You know, wow. <laughs> I hope never to be as free and open about anything about me as you are with your scrotum. Yeah, that's probably for the best. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Where, what were we talking about? We were talking about uh, House on Hunt Hill. Oh, uh, yeah, William Castle. It was director. directed by William Castle. And uh, you weren't just talking about William Castle, the one of the greatest fucking promoters of any form of entertainment since P.T. Barnum. You know, uh, and and this it, guy it, knew how to fucking sell. Dude, and the thing is, he didn't, I mean, he wasn't, I mean, I'll, I'll honestly, I'll tell you that that uh, I really mostly only heard of his horror movies and uh, uh, you know maybe some of his sci-fi movies, things like that. But I mean, he wasn't limited to any of that. Uh, however, I think that some of his greatest gimmicks and some of his greatest marketing ploys were, you know, put into his uh, horror movies, and I think that's probably why I have only heard of those. What What do you think about that? Well, yeah, I mean that that seems to be the case. You know, yeah. we're talking genre movies, and you know, trying to draw more people in, and which, and I think it's kind of unfair to only associate William Castle with these, you know, the you know the spectrum or whatever the fuck. Well, <laughs> he had all sorts of stuff. Yeah, yeah, and you know, Thirteen Ghosts. Of, uh, he had the nice little gimmick where you know, if you look through one lens, you could make the ghost invisible, so you right. know, you wouldn't be scared. Um course uh this one the skeleton that you know came out and flew across the room uh the tingler had the seats rigged up with the joy buzzers you yep. know in the ass so the 
I mean, well, let's put it this way: in one of his westerns, what was he going to do? Like, like uh, blow dust across the the theater and maybe a tumbleweed or something? Tumbleweeds, yes. And that was <laughs> and uh, the the wafting scent of uh, horse shit. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that would have been quite the uh, yeah, it, quite it the same effect. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't quite as successful as some of his <laughs> later gimmicks, but. Well, you know, he he went. Uh, I mean, he went all out for some of these, like giving away thousand-dollar life insurance policies. You know, uh, well, at least uh, the forms for him. Uh, having fake hearses stationed in the lobbies, or uh, mm-hmm. sorry, fake nurses stationed at the lobbies and hearses out in the parking lot, all sorts of stuff like that. I think that would have been. I think that would have been a, a freaking blast, man. Back, oh yeah, back and in those days. now yeah, all the yeah, theaters are talking assholes. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I don't know. Uh, there, there's one where. What was it he did? He like if you you got like so far into the movie, once you got to a certain point, it was like a fright break. Like a time, yeah, the fright break, and you were allowed to leave before that. But after that, you weren't allowed to leave. And if you did leave, then they you know have people calling you a fucking coward and stuff. And <laughs> the coward and you'd, box. Yeah, and you had to, yeah. I mean, and you got a certificate t- totally, as a coward. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he, he made movies an event. And the thing is, though, all of these, at least all of them that I've seen, like Straight Jacket and this one and The Tingler, they're actually fucking pretty good movies. Yeah, you know. And uh, 13 Ghosts I thought was pretty good. I mean, it was kind of a childish, you know, I think it was geared more towards kids. Maybe. But, But, yeah, I mean, these movies fucking hold up without the gimmick. Oh yeah, and and uh, I think that's them. one of the yeah. Well, a lot of them, yeah. I mean, the one the ones I've seen anyway have I've all I've enjoyed all of them. The um the the one thing that I thought was really interesting that I read not to not to to bust your uh, momentum there, but uh, for uh, the movie that he directed called Mister Sardonicus, he actually mm-hmm. the actually had the audience uh, vote in a punishment poll. Is that that what he calls it? Basically, he would appear on screen and and ask. He he handed out cards to everybody, and apparently, what they were is you know a thumbs up or a thumbs down sign. And uh, he'd show up and say, "Okay, well, is the is the sh- should we show mercy on this person or should we t- you know take her down or whatever?" And uh, I mean, apparently, since uh, humans are such dicks, they always uh, punished her. And uh, of course, the film all, would always end up killing her. Uh, you know, yeah, that, and yeah, that's, that's the thing. Was, was there was there actually the other? Did there was there actually a second ending to that? Because that's something I I haven't well, found out. Well, supposedly no audience ever you know offered right. the mercy or whatever. But who knows? Yeah, who, who knows if they ever even made an alternate ending or anything like that? You know. Yeah, and this but is still, this the one of the things. Is awesome. Yeah, and and there's there's actually a 2007 documentary. Uh, I think it was. Spine Tingler, I think was the name of it. Uh-huh. Um, I'm I'm waiting on my copy to show up actually right now. Really? So yeah, I'm looking forward to getting further into this guy's career. Uh-huh. Because um, you know, like I said, his his movies are fucking good. He was a great showman. And um supposedly even you know, this movie supposedly even inspired Hitchcock to uh make his own low budget uh horror movie, uh which of course was Psycho. Oh uh, really? The- yeah, cool. yeah. Um, you know, just the fact that you could take a low budget black and white horror movie, mm-hmm. you know, put it together for next to nothing, and turn a huge profit. Now, whether or not you know Hitchcock was that profit minded, whether or not that story's bullshit, right? But it's it's certainly repeated often enough 
that right. uh, this was one of the big inspirations for Hitchcock to take a stab at doing a real horror movie. Well, no pun intended. <laughs> well, whatever. Well, you know, in, in speaking of low budget, two hundred thousand was, est- was the estimated budget uh, in nineteen fifty nine. I, I mean, obviously, I don't, I don't know what that. Uh, uh, comes down to, but I mean that's still pretty low, especially for having, uh, you know, people like Vincent Price in it. I mean, I it, tell me if I'm wrong, because I, I I and I'm asking you, I'm not, you know, whatever. It was I assume that Vincent Price was a sought after character, especially or, or sorry actor, especially in this type of movie. And uh, when when basically you can make this movie having a bunch of actors, including Vincent Price, for two hundred thousand dollars. I mean. I mean, maybe maybe the inflation has just gone so far up that I that I don't even understand. But uh, uh, was was Vincent Price kind of a big name at the time? Well, he I mean he was on his way up at the time uh-huh. uh, from about the mid fifties on, and then you know I mean you're still talking like even in the sixties he was you know he was working with Roger Corman throughout most of the sixties. Right, absolutely. You know, so so we're still talking you know B movie status, but uh-huh. as far as that goes, you know you're you're talking. He hadn't quite reached the level of like a Car- Karloff or uh, Lugosi at the time, uh-huh. but yeah, he was on his way up. Uh, as a matter of fact, supposedly he had just lost out of a role on the day that he met Castle and signed the deal to do the Tingler and this movie. Really? Yeah. So that, that's awesome. You know, so yeah, it just kind of worked out that way. He's, he's still on his way up, but uh, hadn't quite achieved the legendary status, of course, that he. Yeah. That uh, we all Retains know today. him by now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the the movie is written by Rob White, who also wrote Thirteen Ghosts, which and uh, the Tingler, who were also uh, both uh, William Castle. We we brought those up. Um, this starred, of course, Vincent Price. Go. Oh, sorry, did I? Were you gonna say something? Oh yeah, just a uh, just a uh, White. Uh, he also wrote one of uh, one of my. As you know, I'm a big fan of uh, James Garner. He wrote the movie Up Periscope. Oh, cool. Uh, which was uh, James Garner and uh, launched the career of Warren Oates. Is that half so. of Hall and Oates? Yeah, he's the <laughs> he's the short one with the mustache. <laughs> uh, are you being serious? I have to check because I have no idea. <laughs> uh, no, he was he was a character actor. Uh, one of Vaughn's favorite movies, Bring Me the Head of... Oh, my God. Bring Me the Head... Is it Alfredo Garcia? Is that the name of the movie? Bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia. I have no idea. Great fucking movie. If that's the right title, it's bring me the head of somebody. I'm pretty sure it's Alfredo Garcia. I've only seen it twice, but a great fucking movie. <laughs> cool. <clears throat> awesome. Uh, let's see. He played uh, Vincent Price played Frederick Lauren. Uh, Carol Omart played Annabelle Lauren, his wife. And by the way, um, she was born in Salt Lake City, Miss Utah, 1946, and also starred in Spider Baby. Yeah, Spider Baby, <laughs> another great fucking movie. Honestly, she's um, pretty hot. Oh my god, she's fucking yeah, gorgeous. She's, I, you know, and it's funny because, uh, you know, I I went to kind of look it up, look, get a little more details from uh, from uh, about her because uh, just because of how freaking good looking she was. I mean, I know that's totally, um, what do you call that? Uh, uh, Sexist, sexist, yeah. but no, she's superficial. Go- she's gorgeous, man. Well, plus it, it, it she, uh, she's uh, Miss Utah, nineteen forty-six. I was just a young lad at that time, of course, but uh, nothing. <laughs> yeah, you're, yeah, because you're just a couple years younger than me. So, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, you're old balls. I did her. Oh, sick. <laughs> Speaking of ditter, uh, Richard Long. Three weeks ago. <laughs> oh, sick. Whoa. <laughs> nice. <laughs> 
Richard Long played Lance Schroeder, and I am surprised with a name like Richard Long, he wasn't in one porno his whole life. Yeah, good. oh my god. <laughs> Rich, Richard How did Long. I fucking miss that joke? <laughs> Richard Long, are you kidding me? He's, uh, let's see, Alan Marshall played Dr. David Trent, Carolyn Craig played Nora Manning, uh, let's see, Elisha Cook Jr. played Watson Pritchard. No, Elisha Cook Jr., there's another big fucking name. He was in fucking everything, it pretty seemed, much. Was he in a lot of westerns? I, I, I have a yeah, he, picture well, of was, him in all sorts he of He was in Shane, yeah, oh. uh, the, one of the greatest westerns of all time. Oh, uh, really? The Alan Ladd classic. Uh, did a couple other movies you're probably more familiar with, like uh, Blackula. Yeah, okay. uh, Rosemary's Baby, he was in that. Oh, I don't remember and, him in that. How about that? Yeah. And uh, just tons and tons of fucking television shows, everything from The Man from Uncle to Star Trek to Batman, fuck Gunsmoke, fuck you name it. He was pretty, I think he might have even done some Magnum P.I. episodes before really? he died. Well, he, I mean, he's, he's really recognizable. Yeah. But it's can, funny, he's one of those guys that I recognize his face, but I, I, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't know who he is or what he's been in besides this, except for. But, but getting back to Richard Long, don't you think it's ironic his name was Lance in this movie? Lance, why? Lance, like, like, say, all right, you're jousting. You've got a big lance to. So you, you. Really, oh my god! So, so, so basically, mind. what you're saying is Richard Long, his name was Lance. Yes. I still thought you were talking about Elisha Cook Jr. Oh no, I'm just jumping all over the fucking place here. <laughs> you know what? That's a, that's probably even a better uh, porno name, Lance Long. Lance Long. Long Lance. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, I got your long lance hanging. Oh, I bet you do. You know. Well, why did I say that? Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> that didn't sound gay at all. No, <laughs> not at all. I bet you do. <laughs> oh, it's too funny. Uh, yeah, oh man. Anyway, uh, so what? Uh, let's see. What do you? What, what are some of your opening thoughts about the movie? First off, um, this couple, uh, Frederick and Annabelle. I I think probably what oh god what's their name the Goslins I think they were a little less dysfunctional than these two I don't know who the Goslins are uh, Mary, uh Kate and John plus 8 or John and Kate plus oh, 8 Oh right 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 those two fuckers <laughs> I mean you've got this cold-hearted blonde bitch who <laughs> words nothing is greedy fucking uh, <laughs> yeah so pretty much Kate uh-huh. And then, uh, then the guy that she's pretty much out of his league. But uh, you know, you know what's funny is even though they hated each other, they were so polite in their in their know, little it was, jabs. It, that was it, probably my favorite scene of the whole movie when they were like plotting to kill each other or or uh, you know trying to like make fun of each other that they're that that uh, she was the fourth wife and what happened to you know Vincent Price's first three and you know blah, it was just so funny to sit there and how nice and cordial they were being to each other when they were really just pissed off oh yeah cuz i mean this it's got that great line where he looks at her and he's like remember the time you poisoned me darling what fun that was you know? <laughs> exactly. and, 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 she, and she's like oh, they can't prove anything <laughs> <laughs> Well, and yeah, it was it was all sorts of stuff like that, especially yeah, these little jabs at each other. Oh, uh, maybe maybe the champagne bottle will explode, and you know, so I'll get lucky this time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, 
I mean, just great stuff. That 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 one scene alone is worth the price of admission. Oh yeah, that that's I think I think uh, and that was kind of early on, but I think that was my favorite scene of the whole movie, just because it was so bizarre. You know, you don't you don't see people talking like that to each other, period. But you know, especially when well, you they're hang right. around me and Lisa sometime. But <laughs> well, yeah, I, I haven't had that opportunity yet, unfortunately. Yeah, well, it's coming. <laughs> well, basically, as uh, the self-proclaimed uh, uh, playboy, eccentric millionaire playboy, uh, Frederick Lauren, uh, basically, it's it's kind of funny because he rents his house and invites a bunch of people up for his wife's birthday party. Um, she's not very happy about it because uh, uh, Mr. Lauren, who is uh, Vincent Price, invites people who they who, who they don't know. You know, they just have basically some, uh, you know top level knowledge of who they are and uh they also have the knowledge that they probably need some money right um, and also that they they supposedly don't know each other anyhow uh the party gimmick is that the that uh at midnight or, or was it midnight or something yeah at midnight they'd all be locked in and whoever could stay the night and survive uh-huh. would get ten thousand dollars which by the and... way screw that shit ten grand come on well, Come you know, on. at the time, it was probably a lot of money. Well, well, you know, ten grand's fine, except for um, number one, the house is supposedly haunted. After uh, Pritchard, your man, uh, starts, you know, trying to freak everybody out with the ghost stories and whatever. And uh, also, every party goer gets a, a forty-five. Was that right? Was it a forty-five or was it a nine yeah, millimeter? I can't remember. It, I don't know. Yeah, it looked like a pretty heavy gun. It looked like yeah. about a forty-five. <laughs> so yeah, and oh my god, yeah, and hands them out in these little black coffins. Oh, excellent scene! <laughs> Beautiful. Oh man, that was fucking awesome. You know, and, and here's our party is, favors. You know, it's, I mean, he's just right. so, and he's just so suave and cool about <laughs> shit. You know, he's like, I'm going to hand you, and then he like just takes a shot at a vase on on the fucking mantle, and just to, <laughs> so everybody knows, you know, yeah, this shit's serious. Yeah, yeah. By the way, he's not a gangster because he didn't know how to hold that gun very well. I'll just say that, okay? No. I'll just say yeah. that. Yeah. Um, you know Vincent what? You know I, I wouldn't. Yeah, I don't think Vincent was from the hood. No, no, <clears throat> no. Oh, no. okay. <laughs> well, he definitely doesn't talk like it, uh, or look like it for that matter. No, not but, at all. Uh, um, you know, one thing that uh, you know how this movie was remade with uh, what's his name? Uh, oh, that guy. I, for, oh, I forgot his name. Jeffrey Rush. What? Jeffrey Rush, who I I freaking think is an awesome actor, even though he was in those stupid ass pirates movies. Um, anyway. Uh, they, All right, they, first off, Johnny Depp was in the stupid-ass Pirates movie. Well, and that's true, too. And Johnny Depp, so, who is in my probably favorite movie of oh all time, God. was in that. So He's so you... dreamy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, what was it? Oh, um, basically, they played up the angle of that, uh, you know, that not only is the house haunted, which they, they, you know, did in this one as well, but they played up the fact that they've got to be scared of their fellow uh, party guests. Because of uh, the fact that uh, if someone were to die, they would split the rest of the ten grand out between all the other people. Which, by the way, um, yeah, this was in this one too, right? Uh, but, but they didn't really survive, play just... it up, though, is what I'm saying. Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Um, one thing too is I think there's a little bit of a mistake where um, I think in the monologue, because there's a couple of great monologues. One by uh, um, 
ah, dang it, what's his name? Uh, uh, Elisha Cook, uh, talking mm-hmm. about the house and the ghosts and stuff like that. And then uh, Vincent Price, kind of like a floating head, comes out and explains what's going on. Um, but I think in his in his monologue, they says that uh, he said that, uh, that that if you die, if you don't survive the night, then uh, it will be given to your heirs. But anyway, in the party, he says that it'll be split between everybody else. Is that, is that, am I missing something there? Is that? Uh, no, I, I, it, yeah, I think you're right on that. Okay. Well, either way, freaking. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't fucking nitpick the goddamn movie. Like well, neither that. did I, but I thought it, but oh it, it confused me. Dang, dude, easy there. <laughs> Who do you think I am, Brian from Drunken Zombie? Anyway. Maybe. You might. <laughs> um, Wrong. <laughs> Dude, never. I never. I wouldn't even go off on it. <laughs> um, let's see. Basically, the, that was there. A couple of my favorite parts were the one that we talked about the, uh, before with with them in their bedroom talking, uh, the one with the guns, and uh, honestly, I I don't. It, it kind of went a little bit south there from me for me. Uh, there was there was one there was a, there was uh, what's her name? Uh, let's see, her the actress named. Uh, Carolyn Craig, who played Nora Manning, mm-hmm. she uh, she was starting to get freaked out by the um, you know Wilson Pritchard's ghost, and she she thought she saw a couple of ghosts, and uh, you know, and uh, of course there was other things going on that kind of freaked her out, and so, but but it, uh, but you know, I don't know how much I want to get into it, but um, was it just me or did she freaking her her job in the movie was to just scream? Yeah, and and there's that there's at one point when I guess everyone sequestered themselves in their rooms, right. and she's kind of out wandering around, and she runs into the, sees uh, the one body, and she screams, and then runs into <laughs> the other room, and she screams again, and then right. runs into the next room and screams, and it's like Jesus Christ! I mean, and yeah. I mean, well, she's a hell of a sc- she's a hell of a screamer, great now, screamer, but it is it is fucking ear piercing. Well, plus I mean, she doesn't and, like run away, and it's away. like four or five times in a, in a row. Yeah, and and it was just like, oh my god, back off a little bit. All right. <laughs> well, I, the, the thing that the thing that bothered me about her character, and she's fucking it, hot too, by the well, way. Well, yeah, and I'm for and, the record. And I totally just for the record. That. No, absolutely. She they they both had a very classical, be, uh, classic, beautiful, you know, look to them. But um, basically, uh, she would scream but not run away. Her fight and flight response was was basically uh instead of the fight or flight she basically had a uh, scream and freeze <laughs> you know and yeah. it's just kind of like would you just run away you dumb bitch of course i <laughs> i would never say that out loud to her because i you know i i'm, I'm never that disrespectful to a lady no not you <laughs> right but, but yeah there well and i think a, well and i guess that's probably like the direction uh yeah, because you know you've got to you've got to stop. You've got to have her scream. You've got to show the audience what she's screaming at. Right. Then you cut back to her, and so yeah, it does seem like she's uh, motionless for a long period of time before moving on to the next thing to scream at. Right. And so you know there's a, there's a lot of that, but I mean over overall though. Well, and here's if, a, with this movie. Um, it, that I I didn't think. I mean, that was I think a lot of things. Uh, that that were kind of that, that I noticed in this movie that didn't really mesh well for me was I think just a product of its of its time, you know where mm-hmm. 
movies maybe in the 50s were, you know, maybe people actually, you know, where they, 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 um, women's, you know, they weren't as, as strong of characters as, as this Nora was, even though the wife was a very strong, you know, very strong oh, yeah. willed woman and stuff, you know, and, but it just kind of seemed unnatural to me that this, that this girl would just be kind of so helpless, you know, and I think that just kind of bothered me a bit. But, but at the same time, that character, I guess, was meant to be, you know, she was, I mean, once, once you know how the plot plays out, right. You know, they had to have, in order for the things they, to play out properly, they had to have somebody that was skittish and you know that's a that's a good point. You know, that, that's yeah. So a great it's point. it's almost like she was she was I mean she was a character that was you know in the context of the movie handpicked to play a certain role, uh-huh. and in that context, yeah, this is the way the character has to act in order for things to play out the way they're supposed to. Oh, you know that, and I did not think about that. That's a great point. Yeah, that's why I'm here, Mike. <laughs> well, you know, in, in in like, and I don't want to just sit here and say that oh, the women's characters were were weak and whatever because they weren't. I mean, it was uh, well, there there were three th- what three women in, three in women. the movie. Right. Uh, the elderly woman, she really doesn't have a whole lot to do. <laughs> well, except for except for uh, be, make a really scary face. There were there were four women, then, including her. Yeah, and but the the scenes involving her, where the blood drips from the ceiling, and yeah. it's oh, like, oh, no, no, oh, you're no, no, no. I was talking oh. about the really old lady. Oh, the, the, the caretaker. The caretaker. Well, she's what got two scenes. So. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, the um, God, what was, I can't think of her name. Let's see. Her name was uh, Leona Anderson. Played Mrs. Slides. Or Julie Mitchum played Ruth Bridgers. That's who it was. Julie Mitchum played Julie Ruth Mitchum. Bridgers. Yeah, yeah. I thought she was pretty effective in this. Uh-huh. And, uh And you know, she she only had a couple major scenes, yeah, but they she, yeah, they were fucking cre- hey, they were fucking creepy. Mm-hmm. I mean, the blood dripping from the ceiling on her hand. It's like, oh, now you're marked and. And then right. later on, when you know the callback to that, it was like, "Oh my god, that is fucking cool!" <laughs> you know, and she looks up and sees the big blood stain on the ceiling. It's right. like, uh, there's a lot of effective stuff in here. Um, the scene when everybody's in the hallway before they go back to to their uh, rooms. I mean, some great, great camera movements there, where uh-huh. you follow somebody, you know, into the camera and then back to the. Uh, uh, guy walking down the hallway and then uh, back to the middle of the frame, you know, where you're uh, with uh, Nora and Lance. Uh-huh. I mean, it just, the camera work was excellent. Uh, it's it's a good looking movie. I mean, well, this, it's this, very crisp. Yeah. Oh, as far as, well, just like the, well, the, the, the look and the feel of it, the camera, you know, uh, like the, the, the transfer, I don't really know what you call it, but I mean, it was for, a, for, I mean, you get a lot of these public domain movies from, you know, mm-hmm. 1950, whatever, and they don't look very good. This one actually looks really good. Well, not when, well, and of course, I guess that depends on, you know, the source of your copy because I, there I, are so many, too, but, many but different sources out there. on a public domain disc? Yeah, I mean, the, like I said, the one I got for a dollar is the one I threw in tonight, uh-huh. and it—I mean, it just looked fucking beautiful. Yeah, and so, and I think it's just there. I mean, there's so many copies of it out there. You know, it's it's not too hard to get hold of a right. good-looking print. Um, but as as far as the, you know, as far as it doesn't have that kind of schlocky feel to it. Where, like, you know, the haphazard camera movements or uh, sloppy editing. I mean, it's very, 
you know, when right. we talk, like I said, when you know, we talk about William Castle as, you know, we talk about him as a showman. Mm-hmm. But as far as the director goes, he's fucking top notch. He's a pro. Uh-huh. And there's some really good looking, good looking camera work in this, uh, uh, great cinematography. I thought, I thought, I mean, I just love this fucking movie. <laughs> and, <laughs> and. All right. Now you got William Castle's balls in your mouth. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. No, that's cool. Honestly, this, uh, there were, th- I I do like this movie. I I don't think that it's possible for me to to dislike a movie with Vincent Price in it, especially with Vincent Price putting in this kind of a performance. Oh, um, he's fucking brilliant. Oh, and, he's, uh, he's just so much fun to watch in this. Carol Carol Omar is fucking brilliant in it. Um, yeah, Richard Long this. Richard Long he he fucking does you know his heroic manly thing. You right. know, from all these movies from the fifties. You know, right. you've got the one. You know. Whether it's the handsome scientist, I mean, was he a jet pilot in this? Yep. Yeah. So it's like, you know, I'm I'm handsome American man, <laughs> all American handsome job. boy. I, yes, I, I am here to be handsome and to <laughs> to hold the screaming chick when need be. Right. You know? yeah. Well, he was very comforting to her. He, he was, <laughs> and even after he gets knocked in the head, you know, he's still like the voice of reason throughout the movie. Right. But yeah, and uh, and Elisha Cook was just—I mean, he's because he's so. Well, he played know, the nervous guy. The nervous yeah, because it was his really sister-in-law well. that supposedly haunted the place, or she went nuts and killed like Four seven people. people. Or, oh, you're right. Yeah, Four, she she killed seven. six people and then was killed herself. Hmm. So yeah, it was his sister-in-law. So he had intimate knowledge of it, and he was fucking you know terrified the whole fucking time, right? And trying to get everybody else to see you know this is not a fucking good place to be. And I thought he was fucking. I th- thought he was fucking great. You know the plot. Yeah, I mean it's well, kind of like. Well, the story's the story is great. I, in my opinion, the story that this guy brings up these people to this house. You know, puts this this uh, deal on the table. You know, gives them the weapon. You know, and just to to, to the and the story being what they do and you know and how they interact. I think that's a freaking awesome story. Um, I, I agree my, with you. the the only pro, The only problem I had, as far as the story goes, is you know, okay, you know, they 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 pull off some stuff, you know, to make the, you know, right, to right. whether or not the house is haunted or not. Right. And it's like, well, there's no way they could have fucking you know, like the rope coiling through the window oh, and stuff. Yeah, and, and, I mean, yeah. how the fuck did they pull that shit off? Right. But it doesn't fucking matter because you know, the rest of the plot is the you've got two great twists that come up. Yep, and I wouldn't dream of fucking giving them away to people that haven't seen this movie. And, you know, but, the, but yeah, it, it fucking plays out. It just, I mean, it just plays out fucking great. And, and the story's fucking solid. I mean, aside I, from the fact that how how would they pull that particular stunt off? <laughs> it, you know, okay, you know, just suffice it to say that okay, they did shit to scare, you know, to put this character in this position and right. it fucking plays out. Just Well, and it works fucking. perfectly. Their plan works perfectly and, you know, this and that. I, I don't know. I honestly, this movie, it, I think it, it didn't age very well with some of the, in, in my opinion. I didn't, there were a couple of parts with the, where I just kind of got pulled out of the story because of, um, you know, maybe a special effect or... Um, somebody's reaction to, to, you know, this or that, you know? And so I don't, I don't want to come out and say that this is crappy and I don't want to do that, but I do, but I, I don't think it's a perfect film. I think, I mean, oh, I, I think no, it's I far from, but I think it's enjoyable. No, I, th- I think it's, 
I think it's a lot of fun. Oh, I mean, and it, it is. It's, and it definitely it's, is. And it's definitely a throwback to that era when where horror was fun. You right. know, it's fun to, you know, get a good scare and, you know, nothing's going to hurt you and all that good stuff. Right. You know, and, and that's the way I feel about a lot of the 80s movies was, you know, there's this kind of campiness to it that was just fucking fun. Right. You know, you could watch it and, you know, all this is bullshit, but <laughs> it's it's just fucking fun to watch. You know, you don't have to, you know, don't have to be fucking throwing up to right. have a good fucking horror movie. Well, you know, in in if nothing else it's enjoyable. You can watch it if you just like like you told me you if you nitpick it you'll probably get caught up a little bit, you know. But whatever. I mean, the story's good. It's a fun plus it's uh freaking 99 cents. Uh you can't you, you, you buy a freaking hamburger for that, right? No, absolutely not. <laughs> and I mean, fuck it. And you know, it comes right down to it. It's fucking Vincent Price. Well, and I think that's, and, that's what saves it, in my opinion. The the Vincent Price in in the and uh, the lady who plays his wife, Carol Omar. But those two make this movie worth it. And uh, just because number one, she's gorgeous. Number two, they're play off each other. And number three, Vincent Price is just a freaking man. Yeah, he's absolutely great. And if, you know, you know, it's it. This movie is in pretty much every fucking horror set <laughs> and you know you you can't escape from it so fucking watch you probably it, okay? own it right now you may not even know it as a matter of fact i, th- I think they're just issuing it you know if you walk down the street somebody First certificate, a copy in your pocket copy of this movie yeah and uh, you know if and if if you're like me you know fuck go ahead and watch uh, last man on earth while you're fucking at it <laughs> that one's actually that's a good one too much oh, yeah. much better than the remake, in my opinion. Well, with, uh, I think with, with I think William the, Smith. I think both these movies are much better than the remakes. Ah, you know, I really enjoyed the remake of this movie. Yeah, it it was. I but I think, I, it, I think but, it had the same thing going for it. It was kind of fun. Agreed. But but at the end of the day, I I found it kind of forgettable. Well, I. I they came out, and I'll bet it came out in uh, around '99 or something. Jeffrey Rush, Famke Jansen. And uh, those two were great too. I mean, I don't think their their synergy was as quite as good as as uh, Vincent and uh, Carol, just because just because they were more vicious to each other and and uh, not quite as quote unquote polite. <laughs> yeah, know? and yeah, and that and that's the that's the thing about this relationship that that politeness yeah. m- makes it all the more fucking brutal. Uh, it's just so <laughs> funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, cool man. But yeah. Love this movie. Uh, you love it. I, you know, and I would recommend it. I, I don't know. I still, I still have some reservations, but like we said, you own it. Go watch it. <laughs> anyway, you got any final uh, things to say about this flick? Oh no, that's pretty much it. Vincent fucking Price. <laughs> he is the man. <laughs> he is the man. That's all that really needs to be said. Exactly. Got Vincent Price. It's fucking free, pretty much. <laughs> fucking watch it. Yep, absolutely. I bet you could download it from archive.org right now. Not guaranteed. Uh, as a matter, of, matter of fact, you can. Sweet. Uh, you can get it from archive.org. You can get it from, uh, I'm pretty sure it's on YouTube. Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure you could watch it on Hulu or fucking anything like Google, that. Google, well, it's, yeah, it's on Hulu and fuck, any of these fucking streaming services that have public domain movies. Like You're going to find this one. And so Would there's you no guys fucking, please support Miss no, Utah 1946? Yeah, absolutely. She needs all the help she can get right now. Well, right now she's hooking on the street because uh, her day is long past. 
that's I, freaking I, I think her life is long past, dude. <laughs> well, anyway. Well, no, I, yeah. She is still alive, dude. I didn't know that. That's what I'm saying. I saw her out on the streets last week. Did you? Well, tell her I said hey. And, oh, well, um, you ever you think she's ever going to forget the ball sack uh, emergency net landing thing? Are you are you kidding? Because here's here's what happened with her. Uh-huh. <laughs> she was like, "Man, I wish I had a trampoline." I said, "Honey, <laughs> we're going to have a fun night." Oh, I, I stretched it out between a couple trees, and I was like, "Bounce away." She bounced away for a while, and then went to sleep in her new flesh hammock. Yes, it was it was a tender moment. Awesome, I'll bet. Tender, nine, tender skin, tender moment. Man, I wonder if she is still hot. She was born in 1927. Yeah. <laughs> so that makes her what? 80 something. 80? That's 83. That's not too That's not too old. Well, for an old balls guy like you? No. As a matter of fact, I could probably like 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 shroud her in like <laughs> The skin of my choosing by, like, shaping my scrotum. That is freaking terrible. <laughs> yeah, what did you say we call it? <laughs> All right, man. Hey, thanks again. Always a pleasure, my friend. Welcome to another Slasher Central, brought to you by the Dark Hours Horror Podcast. Hey, you want a beer? Or do you want to smoke some pot? We love premarital sex. <laughs> So today we are talking about Curtains from 1983. Before we get into the movie, let's get into the synopsis. Samantha Sherwood has worked with legendary director Jonathan Stryker on all his major films. She naturally assumes she has been given the title role in his latest project, Audra, which is a character study about a woman losing her sanity. However, Stryker insists she do research for the part, so they arrange to have her committed to an asylum. She goes along with this, not realizing that he intends to leave her there indefinitely, and auditions six younger actresses for the part instead. Samantha escapes and makes her way to the spooky old mansion where the auditions are taking place. As the weekend unfolds, actresses start disappearing. Who is the cause of it all? Is it Samantha? Or is one of the actresses willing to kill for the coveted part? Who will survive to be cast in the role of Audra before the final curtain falls? (laughs) Audra herself couldn't have done it better. That poor doctor was in shock. He's not the only one. <laughs> You're all right, darling. You almost took my head off. Well, <laughs> the thought did occur to me. What a performance. Oh, method acting. 
You have to believe it to do it. Well, I'm convinced. Listen, do you really think this whole charade is necessary? Well, if I'm going to play a mad woman, I've got to know what it's really like. Do you think this is going a bit too far? <sighs> Call it research. Uh, all for the sake of a role in a film. All for the sake of getting it right. And you, as my director, you should applaud my dedication. So, Curtains, this is a movie that I've been curious about for a while now. Now, I caught on to Curtains when I watched the documentary about slasher movies going to pieces, the rise and fall of the slasher genre. And that's when I first saw the poster for Curtains. And if you're any type of slasher fan like myself, you've probably seen the cover. It's a picture of an old hag-like face with these curtains extending down from the jowls of the mouth. And coming out of the curtains is this creepy doll. And then there's the word below it, curtains, with blood spilling out of the sea in the name. So it's a pretty effective poster, and from right there, I was kind of intrigued. I wanted to see it. I knew it was probably a C-level slasher, and it is, but it's definitely one that is interesting. Before we get into that, let's talk about the cast. When you're talking about the cast, the cast is headed out by John Vernon, who is a legendary actor as director Jonathan Stryker in the movie. And if that name isn't familiar to you, his voice probably is. His most famous role was Dean Vernon Warmer in Animal House. The time has come for someone to put his foot down, and that foot is me. You will speak when you're told to speak and not before, you twerp. I am an asshole. John Vernon is a legendary actor. He's been in tons and tons of movies. Unfortunately, he's no longer with us. He passed away, and I believe it was 2005, but until then he'd been doing steady work in movies and cartoons as voice actor and other types of uh, roles. So, very prolific actor, and he really is a powerhouse in this movie. Now, his co-star in the movie, Samantha Egger, who plays Samantha Sherwood, is also an acting powerhouse. Now, you may not ring a bell there either. Didn't really with me until I started watching the movie, and I recognized her right away, and that's because she played Nola Carveth in David Cronenberg's The Brood. They come from the unknown. And they're here now, hiding, waiting to strike. Never before have you faced anything so strange and sinister. Never until now. David Cronenberg's The Brood. Now, if you've ever seen The Brood, you will definitely know Samantha Egger. She is a very talented actress. She's very intense. And the same is true of her role in Curtains. Her and John Vernon really carry the movie. But, obviously, they're not the only actors in the movie. In fact, there's a lot of um, actors that you might recognize, or maybe not. They're from other slasher movies. Like, there's Lynn Griffin as Patty O'Connor, who also played Claire Harrison in Black Christmas. She's also in a new TV series. Uh, I think it's called Happy Something. So she's still working today. And then also there's Leslie Donaldson as Christy Burns. Now her most famous role was the first person killed in Happy Birthday to Me as Bernadette O'Hara. Bernadette O'Hara, do you have any idea what time it is? Come along, Winston. Give mommy head. 
Now, Happy Birthday to Me has a lot in common with Curtains in that both Happy Birthday to Me and more specifically Curtains are more giallo than slasher movies. Now, Happy Birthday to Me is definitely a slasher movie. It has a lot of the slasher elements like nudity and partying and lots of gore. But Curtains almost has none of these things. In fact, it's a lot more suspenseful and is a lot more heavy on plot than most slashers. The killer is not seen very often. When that killer kills people in the movies, all you see are the black gloves that do the murdering. There's a lot of mystery. There's a lot of twists in the movie. Who is the killer? Why are they killing? So, again, this movie is very similar to Giallo's. In need of new ways to shock their devotees, filmmakers turn to Italian cinema for inspiration. Now, the big thing when you're talking about curtains is that there's two halves to the film. There's the first half that is absolutely riveting, and then there's the second half, which is your basic slasher movie and really falls flat on its face. The movie is very disjointed. First of all, when you open the movie, there's an awkward prologue. There's these black curtains that spread apart, and this is a continuing theme throughout the entire movie because, hey... The movie's named Curtains, right? So you have to have curtains on the screen, I guess. But anyways, there's this awkward prologue right at the beginning where you have Samantha Egger auditioning for this role of Audra. And then you have John Vernon telling her, no, you don't have it quite right. And it's an awkward scene, and it really felt out of place. And it wasn't until I really thought back on the movie that I realized what the scene meant and why it was there. So right away you get this awkward prologue, but then you get into the real meat of the movie, which is Samantha in the Asylum. But I'll talk about that eventually. I did want to just go on a little bit about how disjointed the movie is. First of all, there's the doll that's on the main poster and appears in a couple scenes in the movie, but really seems to be very randomly inserted into the movie. I mean, there's no reason for the doll to be there other than it's really creepy. And then there's these scenes scattered throughout the movie that are just random. I mean, you'll be going along some plot thread, and then it takes a detour into some other scene, and then it'll go back to the main plot thread, and it just seems very just random and disjointed. And the reason is probably because an important dark fact about this movie is that Curtains actually began production and was partially shot in 1980. But after director Richard Cupa left with only half of the movie shot, producer Peter Simpson shot the rest of the movie and incorporated more slasher elements that were popular at the time. So this movie was started in 1980. This would be just around the time that Friday the 13th was out. So the slasher boom was barely in its infancy at this point. So this movie wasn't, I think, intended to be a slasher movie at first. And it's pretty obvious because, again, the first half of the movie is very suspenseful and very deliberate. And the second half of the movie is very frenetic and really your typical slasher movie. What's the point? They're all the same. Some stupid killer stalking some big-breasted girl who can't act who's always running up the stairs when she should be going out the front door. It's insulting. Now, as I said, there are a lot of very effective elements in this movie. First of all, there's all the scenes in the sanitarium, 
When Samantha first gets in the sanitarium, it's kind of played for laughs. For example, there's this one scene where she's walking down a hallway and this fat, robust woman bursts out of a doorway and starts tickling her and she's giggling madly. And at first, it's really funny. You know, this is a funny scene. But then, as she keeps tickling her, you can tell that Samantha gets a little weirded out. And really, this is the way those sanitarium scenes play. At first, it's a kind of a fun exercise for Samantha. She's doing research for a part of hers, but as she is continuously in this sanitarium, her sandy starts breaking down. There's another scene where she can't sleep because the woman next to her in the bed keeps waking up screaming, and eventually that woman gets carried away and brought back in, and she's been lobotomized, and it really just bums Samantha out. In fact, when Jonathan Stryker keeps visiting her in the asylum to check on her progress for the role of Audra, you can see that every time he visits her, she's more and more weary and more and more broken down to the point later on in the movie where she literally looks insane. And that is when I think Jonathan Stryker makes the decision to move ahead with the auditions, the fateful auditions that will drive forward the plot and set forth the murders in motion. Now, the next thing that you've got to notice about this movie is the script. For the most part, the script is very impressive. For example, there's a lot of funny dialogue, like this scene between an actress and an agent, one of those actresses in question that is auditioning for the role of Audra. Have you seen the script? It's here somewhere. Did you read it? I don't read without an offer. Brock, Jesus, Brock! I mean, if you wait for an offer from Stryker, we'll both starve to death. Fuck you. You're the agent. Get me one. It was all I could do to get you the audition, dear. What you do for me is cash my checks. Have you seen the trades? You know, I never read that crap. Uh, Jonathan Stryker said that there was only one actress in the world who he'd consider for Audra. You, cuckoo head! He said that about me? Yes, of course he did! Well, not in so many words, that was general gist of the thing. Specifically, the scenes between Vernon and Edgar are just like lightning. I mean, these are two prolific actors in the prime of their acting careers in the 80s. Vernon is the eternal character actor. He's always the bad guy in movies. And here it's no exception. He's sleeping with actresses to get them uh, the parts that they want. And you can tell a lot of them aren't really comfortable with it. He's definitely taking advantage of people. And he's left Edgar to rot in a sanitarium. And then you have Samantha Egger, who is chewing scenery like a lawnmower and very histrionical in her performance, but very effective. It's a, it's a different time, and they're both different acting styles from the 80s. So this movie is dated in the acting styles, but that's part of its charm. And then you have the whole stock and slash element to the movie. There's the creepy doll that keeps appearing throughout the movie, which doesn't really have any function, it seems, other than to creep the audience out. And then you have the killer with this creepy hag mask, which is a pretty effective slasher costume. And her main weapon of choice is a giant scythe that you can see is being sharpened at one point in the movie. And then you have some pretty effective scenes. There's a scene where this girl is ice skating alone out there on a pond. All the different actresses that are vying for the role of Audra have different 
talents and hers is ice skating. So she's ice skating on this pond with this music playing and suddenly the the stereo cuts out. So she goes to inspect the stereo and there in the snow is the creepy doll. And so she's looking at this creepy doll when she hears somebody skating on the ice from behind her. And she turns around and there is this hag looking woman in the hag mask skating towards her. And she starts running in fear. Very effective scene. And that one is where Leslie Donaldson is playing the role. And she's a very pretty girl. But the movie is definitely not perfect. Really, the movie is, the whole of the movie is not as good as the sum of its parts. For example, one of the worst scenes in the movie comes pretty early in the movie. One of those fake jump scare moments. Kind of like the cat jumping out of the closet. Except, in this instance, it's a girl who is taking a bath. And you see some mysterious man outside that is creeping into her apartment. And suddenly he attacks her. And hes he looks like he's raping her. And she looks like she's terrified at first. And then she almost looks like she's enjoying it, which is just disgusting. I like rape. <gasps> and of course, all this is is a setup for a fake jump scare. The girl is the boyfriend of the guy and blah, blah, blah. Just a horrible, horrible really bad scene. I mean, right from the beginning, I knew that something was crazy here and it wasn't really what it was pretending it was. And then, of course, in the movie, as a slasher movie, this movie really falls short. I mean, there's not a whole lot of nudity and there's very little gore. And a lot of the kills are either implied off-screen or just stupid. For example, that scene that I mentioned earlier on the ice skating rink or, or the pond ends in one of the just the most ridiculous kills. The girl is backing against a tree and she can't find out where the killer is. And so suddenly from behind the tree comes these arms with the scythe and there she goes. And I've just never gotten this. Do people really kill people from around trees? How would you even see who's on the other side. And this always reminds me of the stupidest kill in Friday the 13th Part 2. The death of Crazy Ralph where he was strangled with this chain that was, I don't know, thrown around a tree or something. Messenger of God. But he can't blood, ain't you? Cursed. It's got a death. Cursed. Messenger of God. Keep people alone. Just a great character, one of the best characters from Friday the 13th, given an unceremonious dumping out of the script. And of course, then there's the girls that are vying for the role of Audra in the movie. I just could care less about any one of them. None of them get any real FaceTime except one of the actresses whom I played in a clip earlier of the starlet and her agent. And she's the only character, the only actress out of any of them that gets any FaceTime that you really know. And I think this again was a problem and it was due to the fact that there were two different directors on the movie and a lot of these these scenes just feel kind of tacked on or, or thrown together. A lot of odd, re random scenes. There's a scene between two girls where one is, I guess, pretending to be a guy and feeling up the other in this audition for Jonathan Stryker, which gives you a little bit of a boobage action, but it's just totally random and makes no sense within the context of the scene. And then there's another uh, scene later on in the movie where one of the actresses is a ballerina. So she's dancing in this room alone to this odd music. And she's dancing in this locked room, 
similar to Friday the 13th Part 5, where uh, Violet was dancing in the room alone, and you're like, who really does this, right? They dance in a room alone to this weird music. Just weird, random scenes. So... Again, the movie curtains very disjointed, but as a whole, the movie really works, and it ends with a very effective twist ending that is very grim, typical of the 1980s, your shock ending. Doesn't quite work because it kind of sneaks up on you, but it was pretty good. I mean, it just is very poorly handled. A couple dark facts about this movie is due to the fact that over half the movie was shot by the producer, director Richard Cupa decided to take his name off the film. Actually, in the credits, the director is credited as Jonathan Stryker, which is, of course, the film's fictional director who drives most of the plot. Another dark fact is that Celine Lomez was replaced midway through production by Linda Thurston, who plays vain starlet Brooke Parsons. Now, it is rumored that Lomas was fired because she refused to do a full frontal nude scene. But the actual reason she was replaced is because she was French-Canadian and she could barely speak English, let alone act in it. So, as I said, this movie was very fraught with production problems and lots of issues. So, it's amazing that the, the end product is as effective as it is and is probably one of the more complex and plot-driven slashers that I've actually talked about here on Slasher Central. So, to wrap up, the final assessment on Curtains is that you should check it out. It doesn't have very much in the three main components I use to judge slashers, which are blood, boobs, and partying but it is a very good movie. It feels a little crazy and hashed together, but in the end, it comes together thanks to some good performances, a good twist ending, and a really good, effective main plot. So check it out if you can find it. It is a little tough to find. It's not on DVD, but I'm sure you can find it if you try. Behind every curtain, someone is waiting. Someone is watching. Someone is hiding. What waits behind the curtains is exciting, frightening, sensual, terrifying, and bizarre. Curtains reveal what you expect and what you don't. Curtains... The ultimate nightmare. The dark hours. Welcome to a night of total terror. When his bloody scalpel probes the forbidden secrets of a woman's flesh. The dead who live on living flesh. Hi, this is Aaron with another edition of It Came From the Public Domain. Since we don't have any kind of uh, theme this week, I figured I would just take a few of my my favorite public domain movies and just go over them just briefly. I won't cover them in depth because, you know, I might eventually get back to them, uh, you know, during another show. So uh, one of my favorite public domain movies and one of the uh, most famous uh, horror public domain movies would be... Uh, George Romero's Night of the Living Dead. Now, I'm not really a big fan of 
land, diary, and survival of the dead, but you can't argue with the classic nature of night, day, and dawn, and of uh, all those, I think, as far as just being an effective horror movie, night is probably one of the most effective horror movies, um, and definitely one of the most effective of the series. And what other movie can you look at and say that it created a monster archetype? I mean, Dracula made vampires famous, but there were vampires before that. And Frankenstein made the movie, made mad science uh, popular, but, I mean, there were stories before that. So, uh, you know, of course there were zombie movies before, you know, Night or... uh, I Walked with the Zombie and White Zombie, which is also public domain and a pretty good movie, too. But they were more voodoo-related. They're not really living dead. They were more, you know, hypnotized or whatever. So um, the actual risen from the dead has to shoot it in the head zombie, you know, started here. So can't go wrong with that. Another, uh, we were talking about vampires just a second ago. Another movie I like uh, came out... A little later than Dracula, maybe a few, maybe as uh, much as like 10 or 15 years later, probably. But uh, I kind of like it just as much as the Universal Dracula, maybe a little more, actually. Um, blasphemy as that may be. It's called uh, Dead Men Walk. It stars uh, George Zuko, who you, if you watch old movies, you know who he is. But he is most, uh, probably most famous to monster movie fans as like the priest character in uh, the Universal Mummy movies, not the the original with Boris with uh, Boris Karloff, but you know the the, uh, the series of four movies that were after that that are about a different mummy. He was like the the high priest character in there, but in this one he plays two characters. He plays um, a kindly sort of doctor type character, and then there is uh, his evil twin brother who who dies, and because he was so evil, becomes a vampire. He was into black magic and that kind of thing. And so then he starts preying on people and tormenting his brother. And like I said, I won't go into it too much, but it's it's uh, one of the older myths about being a vampire is how to become one was, you know, you could actually just be bad enough to become one. So that was kind of a neat thing that they used. And they played on the whole twin thing. It was It was kind of a, you know, a neat movie. So I would suggest check that out. Um, of course, there is Dementia 13, uh, Francis Ford Coppola's first movie. It's a sort of a neat little proto slasher whodunit kind of thing. It's a, it could almost be a if it was a little you know more bloody or whatever. It could almost be a, a, a giallo. It was it was good. It was a, a family um, returns to their family you know old family estate to uh, memorialize uh, the death of one of their younger sisters and somebody with an axe as I start killing people and, you know, you have to figure out who it is and that kind of thing. It's, it's a neat little movie. Um, I'm sure you've probably seen it, but if you haven't, check it out. Um, another one with a hatchet in it <laughs> is uh, Mario Bava's Hatchet for the Honeymoon. Now, I when I was little, I like, grew up in, uh, in Ohio and West Virginia and... Um, I used to watch my local late-night creature feature. This was one of the first movies I remember watching, and of course I had no idea. I was five or six, maybe even four, and I had no idea what Italian horror was or who Mario Baba was, but I knew 
even though I didn't completely understand everything that was going on, I knew there was something different about it, and just the way you know, just the way it was, the way it looked. I knew just something was different. And it, at the time, it, it kind of scared me. It's a neat little movie. It's about uh, a man who was trying to remember the death of his mother and what happened, but the only way he can remember that is by killing uh, women. Who he is a he is a fashion designer who specializes in. Uh, wedding dresses, and every time he kills one of these brides, he remembers a little more of what happened to his mother. Plus, he's also married to, like, this, like, domineering, like, bitch of a woman who is kind of a bitch, but you kind of think, but you kind of get the impression that he's not really easy to live with either. So, you know, she maybe she was, like, nice before and she turned bitter or whatever. And then... um and something happens, and, like, right away in, in the middle of the movie, it goes... Uh, it's, you know, always kind of a psychological kind of thing, you know, psychological kind of movie, but it goes from this psycho-type movie into, like, a haunting-type movie, and you're never sure whether it's something he's seeing or if it's really happening, but you think it must be really happening because other people are noticing it, too. I don't, like I said, I don't want to go into it too much just because I don't want to spoil it. It was on Friday Night Frights a few weeks ago, um, of course, the sound, unfortunately, was a little messed up because of the intro I tried to do, but it's really a great movie. Uh, I would recommend, if you're a fan of Italian horror and uh, like Mario Bava, you might check that out. Also, check out uh, one scene. He's watching uh, Bava's Black Sabbath on TV at one point, so that's kind of neat. Um, there's there's so many good ones. There's uh, Horror Express you might like if you're into Hammer. Um, it's not Hammer movie, uh, but it does have Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing in it. Um, an anthropologist is taking a, uh, a newly discovered missing link type monster, or what they think that's what it is, on board, a, on board the uh, Trans-Siberian Express. And, um, of course, it wakes up and things happen. There's there's uh, brain boiling and basically a zombie outbreak, and Telly Savala shows up at one point as a Russian Cossack. So the good times had by all there. And like I said, it's uh, of all the Hammer wannabe movies that are out there, uh, it's probably the most Hammer-like. So if you like the Hammer movies, you'll, you'll, you'll like Horror Express. Another uh, Christopher Lee movie we've talked about, uh, at least on Dollar Movie Drive-In, and I know it was covered by someone on the... Uh, 30 Days of Lovecraft, it was a horror hotel, another great, great atmospheric movie. Uh, a young lady goes to, a young college student goes to a New England town to investigate witchcraft and then disappears. And then her, uh, her, was it her brother or her boyfriend, or her brother and her boyfriend go to check it out and, um, see where she is and things and it's just a great little the whole town is like fog fog shrouded and there's like stuff going on you know with with uh, ancient cults and that kind of thing so it's very lovecrafty and i think anybody that likes lovecraft would like it there's like i said there's several if you if you like the cheesy movies there's like basically an endless supply of cheese you can watch um some some movies by a famous another famous person uh, that you might want to check out if you are into the Italian horror and you like uh, Dario Argento. A few of his movies are actually public domain. Um, I know Mac uh, 
Sam talked about uh, Deep Red when they did their uh, original public domain show. So, you know, check that out. Go back into the archive and look for that. But that's a great movie. Uh, as far as I can tell, the uh, public domain version is is not cut as far as any gore or anything. I do know there's a longer Italian version out, like if you actually buy the DVD or whatever. But the, uh, the free one is uh, pretty good. And there is also uh, his movie Phenomena, uh, starring Jennifer Connelly. It's the one about uh, the girl who can communicate with insects, trying to solve a series of murder at a prep school. Uh, murder at a prep school. It. I don't know whether it's cut or not. It's. It's released in the public domain under the name Creepers, and I've seen it on a couple collections. Uh, I'm, I have it on the Drive-In Classics. Um, like I said, I don't know whether it's cut or not. Uh, I do know the phenomenon is probably longer, so I. But still, a great movie. Um, his uh, early Giallo, Giallo uh, Cat of Nine Tails is also available in the public domain. I have it on the Suspense Classics, but it's a. Uh, it's not really the bloodbath that you would expect from from Argento, but it's still a good little murder mystery. It has a blind, uh, blind guy trying to solve a series of murders. It's. It's uh, it's pretty good. I mean, if you like just a straight-out mystery, it's a pretty good one. Um, also, um, his other f- most more famous Giallo, uh, Giallo, I don't even know how to say it, but whatever, um, is, I've seen it written hundreds of times, but I've never, you know, I've never, anyway. Um, it... It, Tenebrae is released uh, under the name Unsane in the public domain on also the Drive-In Classics collection. Uh, great movie. I mean, it's got John Saxon in it, so you can't be can't be too bad. Um, a writer goes to Italy to promote his book, and suddenly someone starts killing people, patterning the crimes after the thing after the crimes in his book. So he has to deal with that, trying to figure out who the murderer is. Uh, it's, it's a great little book. Now, I know that this version is cut a little. Um, the arterial spray, when the lady gets her hand, with her, gets her arm cut off, is missing. Now, I don't know if that's because they just cut it out or if it's because you just don't see it because of, you know, the public domain copy that I have is not widescreen. But, I mean, if, and it's been forever since I've seen the actual copy of, of Tenebrae, so I don't remember if anything else is cut out or not, but even if it is a little bit, I mean, it's still a great movie. Check that out. Um, lots of lots of good stuff like that. A lot of the Italian movies are, are public domain. I'm almost pretty sure that Lucio Fulci's House by the Cemetery is public domain. I've seen it several places, and I've seen uh, Seven Doors of Death, uh, which is another version of his movie, The Beyond, is I've seen it in, like, for all public domain labels, but not not super often, so I'm not 100% sure that that's public domain or not, but it's those are good movies. Um, let's see, what else, what else would be good? Um, if you're into older movies, you might want to check out an actor by the name of Todd Slaughter. His most famous work probably is in the original version of Sweeney Todd, but he he was out at the same time as like Karloff and Lugosi, but he was from England. Um, basically, I mean his movies did not play around as far as comment goes. He was like way worse than those two guys were. Like in his movie, uh, oh what's it called? 
the crimes of crimes in the dark house. He starts out by driving a tent bike into someone's head and then stealing their identity. Later on, he gets the, he gets like he he's pretending like he's this rich person and he like gets the uh, the uh, one of the maids pregnant and she tells she tells him that she's pregnant so he murders her. <laughs> he just his his people are always like your typical like mustache stroking like <laughs> kind of villain, but like they're just a lot of fun. Like I said, there's there's way more that I'm sure I'm forgetting, and this is I hang up I'm going to remember. But those are those are all good movies. Some of the Roger Corman movies are are in public domain. Beast from the Haunted Cave is a great movie. Uh, Little Shop of Horrors is cool. Um, House on Haunted Hill rents a price movie, which is William Castle. One of my favorite cheesy old movies with William Price. You can't go wrong. He's also speaking of Vincent Price. Of course, uh, you don't want to forget The Last Man on Earth. That's a great movie. Um, it's probably although none of the movies are really super close to the book, it's probably the closest in tone to the book, uh, I Am Legend. And, uh, of course, once again, Vincent Price basically carries the whole movie by himself, and, of course, he's more than capable of, of doing that, so that's a good one. Um, he's also in a couple other ones, uh, Shock. He's a uh, psychiatrist who kills his wife and then gets in charge of the patient who who saw the murder, and she's traumatized, so he's kind of like supposed to be curing her, but he was trying to make sure she doesn't tell anybody what's going on. And um, he was also in a remake of a movie called The Bat. That's public domain. Actually, that movie is public domain, and the the silent movie that it was based on is public domain, which are kind of neat because the silent movie is kind of the basis. Even though the bat in the silent movie is a killer, the look of that is kind of where Bob Kane got the idea for Batman. So you might want to check that out. There's a lot of good silent movies. That are public domain. Nosferatu, great, is a classic. Hunchback um, of Notre Dame, which is I think a little bit overrated, but still a good movie. Doc, uh, Cabinet of Doctor Caligari is really weird, kind of visually uh, impressive movie. The ending kind of ruins it, but and then of course Phantom of the Opera, probably the best silent movie I've ever seen. Um, getting out of silent movie, I would have mentioned. Carnival of Souls, but some people covered that already in a section that's not this one. And uh, I probably wouldn't have mentioned Plane Line from Outer Space, but they covered that one too. Just so you know, stay out of my area. <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, there's, uh, if you like ghost movies, there is one called Tormented, where a, uh, a man is getting ready to marry uh, a society girl, and he to uh, hide the fact that he's been messing around with like the trampy girl, he kills her, and then she haunts him and his wife for the re- his you know, fiance for the rest of the movie. It's pretty good. There's another one. It's not really that good, but it's I mean some parts of it are, but it's it's called Carnage. It's uh, a couple moving into a house, and it was haunted by the ghost of a couple who committed suicide there, and just stuff happens. I mean, it, it's kind of gory. It's uh, I forget what the guy's name is now, but it's from the same person who who did, like, the ghastly ones and the bloody mutilators and that kind of stuff, so you know what you're in for there. But I think I've rambled enough. I, like I said, I'm sure I'll think of a bunch more, but just there's a lot of... For all the cheese that's out there, there's a lot of uh, actually good movies, too. And now another one before I go that I've always enjoyed, but everyone else always seems to want to talk crap about is uh, The Killer Shrews. 
No. I do know that, like, the... I do know that the shrews are, like, actually dogs with carpet animals on there. I got it. I know. I know it's cheesy. But when you think about it, I mean, it's a really cool little scenario. It's like these people trapped on an island in a house, and these monsters are trying to get in, and, you know, they're, they're fighting amongst themselves. So it's a really of a Night of the Living Dead kind of scenario. And if you can get past some of the cheesy parts of it, which is basically what you have to do with any of this stuff, then you could really, I mean, it's a really good story. It's a really neat, you know, little idea. And like I said, just get past all that and, uh, you know, you'll enjoy yourself. So thanks for listening to me ramble for like ever. So uh, I'll talk to you all later and we'll see you next time. in my throat, those bigger chunks of mom, not so easy to swallow, let alone digest, she's old and kind of stringy, tougher than a dinghy, and I remember mommy as a baby at her breast, the therapist made me do it, the therapist made me chew it, the therapist made me swallow, now I feel so hollow, the therapist made me do it, the therapist made me chew it, the scarapist made me swallow, now I feel so hollow. Big chunks of mom, supposed to make me feel better, supposed to set me free. Took a while to figure out that mom was the problem. Don't you know, here all along, I was thinking it's me. The therapist made me do it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Cadaver Lab episode 56. Today, we're talking about uh, random movies that uh, Johnny pulled out of his ass. (laughs) First question I have for you is, what were they doing up there in the first place? I pulled them out of your ass. (laughs) <laughs> what? What? What do you? What do you? Sam? Now? I don't know. <laughs> Why is the Sam pull stuff out of your ass? Well, I'll tell you what. Sam's gonna be jealous after he hears all that. Nice, <laughs> man. Uh, how's it going, man? Pretty good, man. How's it going with you? Uh, not bad. SSDD, as usual. Is basically <laughs> what I, what I'm saying. But uh, you've had a, quite a quite uh, eventful last couple weeks. Oh yeah, I uh, checked out the Texas Frightmare Weekend. Oh man, that was jealous. Awesome. Jealous. You should have been there. Well, I, you know what, I should have been, but I, unfortunately, I wasn't. There. You know, it's funny as while it was going on the whole time, I was like, I, I just, I was like obsessed, thinking, man, I should be there. But you know what, like I said, man, and I don't know how many, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this once every episode until I die, that uh, horror hound indie every single year, just plan on it. <laughs> man, I. Uh, you I too, dude. I want to go. I want to go to horror hound, but. I don't know, man. Texas Frightmare is so awesome too. It's I can't do both because they're back to back. Oh yeah, and that's and that's the truth. So I gotta. Oh, maybe maybe I'll go to Indy next year. Yeah, let, let's try Indy next year, and then we'll see where it goes. Man, I met tons of cool people. Yeah, dude. Who'd yeah, you meet? I, oh, met my favorite director of all time, John Who? Carpenter. You know what? Right then, I was trying to hurry and think of a. I'm like, okay, who's a Who's a porno director? Okay, come on, come on. Oh, I, couldn't, I, I couldn't come up with one, but anyways. Like, can do, you think of any famous porno directors? I was going to say, do pornos have directors? Oh, they anyway. do, I th- but I don't think they're, like, famous. 
Oh man, uh, they all they do is want to star in all their own shows, so they usually get acting credit. Anyway, so how was meeting John Carpenter? Dude, he was really cool, man. Um, it was really weird because the hallway leading into where he was signing was uh-huh. really, really hot. So I mean, you were like in the seventh layer of hell the whole time you're in there. Oh and yeah, dude. And the second you crossed into the room where he was signing, it was like, it was like being like cleansed by angels. <laughs> like the, the the air was on and it was so nice in there and, and his assistants were handing people food and drinks are you serious yeah and they're like what would you like would you like an apple would you like some chips would you like a soda I'm like I would like I don't know <laughs> I, I'd I like no to meet John Carpenter like. bitch yeah well and that's funny we waited for a while and we went up there and finally when we got to meet John Carpenter right when we got like next to him he said alright guys do you mind if I take a smoke break and I thought fuck you no <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I immediately, th- I was like, yeah, are you asking me? Like, you're <laughs> yeah. one of the most prolific directors of all time. No, just say no. You know what, like, dude, I've been waiting in this line for an hour. No, you're not taking a smoke break, dick face. <laughs> no, but no, we, he took a smoke break and he came back and he was so awesome, dude. Like, he he was really cool, man. Like, now, it's as far as directors go, I only need to meet Dario Argento and my two directors are done. Sweet, man. But he was really cool. He talked to us a little bit about the ward, and and I handed him a picture of uh, Donald Pleasance and Charles Cyphers for him to sign. Oh, cool! And because I didn't realize you had to bring you had to bring your own stuff for him to sign because he was one of the only tables set up where he didn't have like eight by tens and stuff. Oh yeah, okay, that's a little different, isn't it? Yeah, because he was the VIP, so I guess he you know you're supposed to bring something. So I had already got gotten an autograph from Charles Cyphers, who was you know Sheriff Brackett in the original Halloween. Oh, cool. And so I was like, oh, I'll get him to sign this. And he's, you know, he's talking about, oh, yeah, you know, he was a really great guy and stuff. It was really cool, man. He was he was a nice guy. I'm surprised you didn't get him to sign your, your uh, breast. Um, I got him to sign my scrotum, but... You did? I can't what did he have, like a, a, like a really fine pen to get with that little print? He did. No. <laughs> man, uh, lots of cool stuff happened. I met, um, well, I, I hung out with Chris from Cinema Corpse. He is awesome, dude. awesome dude. And I will say this, he wore, for the second day of the convention, he wore a Cadaver Lab shirt all day, and that's ballsy, man, because we, we probably pissed a lot of people off that he could have been taken out. What? What? No. <laughs> what, what are you talking about? No. He's a really cool dude, though. We actually filmed something for a show outside. We uh, we filmed a little recap of the convention. Oh, cool. But, man, I, I met tons of people. met some Elm Street people, met Lisa Wilcox. She oh. was she was looking good in those pics I saw on Facebook. Yeah, I met Rodney Eastman. Oh, and I also met the nurse from uh, Stacy Alden, the nurse from Part Three, who gets naked. Uh, the booby nurse. And I'm gonna say this right now with certainty, certainty. Uh-huh. If I was if I was ever 100 percent certain that I could that I could take a chick back to my room, it was her. What? She was laying it on thick. Even Shelly was like, man, she's really coming on to you. <laughs> like, like, there were people in line, and she was just like, yeah, yeah, I'm here. I'll sign their autograph. And then I got up there, and she was like leaning toward me and like, you know, kind of caressing my arm, looking at my uh. tattoos. I was like, wow. <laughs> Dude, she was, I'm telling you right now, she was she was digging the J. Krug. That's, that's a... <laughs> digging the J. Krug, really? Is that... <laughs> Is that your new saying now? Is that your like rapper name? You're the one that gave me that name. Oh, I what? On an episode, you said Jay Krug on an episode. Oh, okay. Well, then it's <laughs> awesome. 
<laughs> man. Oh, we met tons of people, though. We met um, Elvira. She was cool. Oh, man. Gosh dang. Daniel Harris, man. We met. Um, oh, you know, I saw a picture of her. She looked really good. Yeah, for being like 34. She looks like she's like 10 still. Wait, what's wrong with being 34? Well. Asshole. I'm not saying. <laughs> we saw one of her new movies at the, at the convention. Wait, 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 wait. I'm not, I'm not done. I need you to answer that question for me. What's wrong with being 34? Yeah. I don't know. Do you look like you could still be in junior high? If I shave my beard. Shit. I'm going to punch you in the... Oh, wait. I'm not supposed to say that again because I, I think that uh, somebody was counting how many times I, I threatened to punch you in the dick last episode. Wasn't that Sins? <laughs> yeah, it was. Well, I can't remember how many it was. But you it's know what? It's a drinking not... game now. That was it? I was so sweet. I'm sure. No, she was really cool. And the movie she was promoting, Blood Night, which I bought, was awesome, dude. But she, was it really? Uh, oh, yeah. It was good. But she that's the director who wants to be interviewed on our show. Who? Uh, I can't think of his name, but he's the director of Blood Night. Oh, for some reason. Oh, all right. She's in Blood Night. Okay, yeah. no, that's cool. Yeah, we'll but have to do that. But she plays a high schooler in that movie. She's like 34. I'm like, yeah, honestly, I don't I don't think I could pass for a high schooler. Dude, people are... <laughs> people, you know what's funny is Chris and I, he probably doesn't want me telling the story, but we went to the gas station to get, you know, a couple six-packs. Yep. And take back to the convention since one beer at the convention was the same price as a six-pack. Uh-huh. And, uh... I walked up there, and the guy's like, oh, okay, and I gave him money and everything, and walked off, and <laughs> Chris walks up there. He's one year younger than me, and he asks him for his card. Oh, really? Yeah, but that's, that's the difference is I got this big old scraggly goatee thing going on, and Chris is baby-faced. And clean-shaven? He is, and, and, and that's the thing is, like, I would kill to, for people to card me still. People think I'm, a, like, Rip Van Winkle. What are you, like, some kind of a middle-aged woman who gives a crap about that stuff? Uh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it does. It, just, it was really funny though, because I was laughing. I was like, "Dude, I was like, we're like one year apart, and they're carding you." <laughs> I met the whole cast of "I Spit on Your Grave" the remake. Oh, cool! Oh, what? Yeah, yeah. And I will tell you this: they premiered the trailer and some footage there. As uh-huh. much as I love the original, I think the remake is going to be really awesome. Really? Yeah, and the cast was really cool, dude. They were like Sarah Butler, Chad Lindbergh, Rodney Eastman, and Daniel <laughs> Frenzise. Dude, you should have seen the trailer and the and the couple of the clips because there's a clip where she was pulling the dude's teeth out with some pliers. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, that scene alone, man, uh, that was pretty brutal. Did you ask him if somebody's going to get raped for forty minutes? No, they actually cut it down to thirty-eight minutes in this one. So. Oh, that's bullshit. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but it actually it, it looks cleaned up and really good though. It looks like they stuck, you know, to the original. And uh, hmm. I, I well, of that. course, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a chance, and I'm gonna watch it because I'm a sucker. But anyway, well, I mean, I'm not gonna sit here and say after seeing the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, I'm not gonna sit here and say that it's gonna be better than the uh, original <laughs> because I've been disillusioned. Be what? Because of the Nightmare yeah. remake? Really? Did you, you like see that? The, did you see the Nightmare remake? I did. Okay. <laughs> um, what did you think of the Nightmare remake? Um, okay, you know how I don't really like to be over overly negative about movies? Yeah. Um, I just hated this. <laughs> I, I I did too. Yeah, I just thought it was so boring. I, I actually was struggling to stay awake in the theater. My thing with the Nightmare remake, I have several things that bothered me. Jack Earl Haley did not bother me. Like, he didn't bother me as Freddy. Mm-hmm. The casting choice of Rooney Mara as Nancy was just... A very poor decision. Well, what didn't you like about her? Because I agree with you, but I think mine are kind of uh, well, kind of she, shallow. My reasons. 
she was uh she had Kristen Stewartitis where she basically was overly dark and dramatic for no damn reason. Yeah, and that's one problem. Um, there was you know just well first of all they didn't even introduce her as a main character until about halfway through the movie. Which well, she right, okay. It was kind of stupid because I mean they build up everybody else in the movie. Which, you know, is kind of like that in the original, but they still have the main focus on Nancy. Where in this one, it was like, at, after they kill Thomas Decker, they just kind of throw you into Nancy. It's like, oh, well, here, this is this person, and she's Freddie's favorite. Right. Um, and I just didn't, I did not think she could, I didn't think she could carry a whole movie on her own. Well, I didn't, I, for, I just thought she was uh, kind of like, kind of like what you were saying. She's, uh, she just wasn't that, I mean... What's her name? Uh, the original Nancy. What was her name again? Heather Lingenkamp. Heather Lingenkamp at least was kind of dynamic. She was, you know, she. I mean, I'm not saying she was the greatest actress, but she she wasn't forgettable. And since this girl was just kind of depressed and kind of moped around the whole time, it was like, and she didn't really have a a unique like look to her. I don't know. Is that is that rude? She, I no, mean, she's, I mean, it's not, like, it's not like she was ugly or anything like that. But she had really no. She she looked like a hundred million other girls, you know. Exactly. And and it's like so you have that. You had her depressed walking around. She didn't really make an impact. Not at all. You know, and it's, it's she's just kind of forgettable, and I think that was it, it was difficult because you're right. I mean, she wasn't the main character until it way in, and once you realize that that's who you had to latch on to, it was kind of like you're screwed. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I had a lot of problems with this because you know this movie went through some big rewrites. No, I didn't know that. Well, it, yeah, the the guy who wrote the script, I've read the original script. Was Wesley uh, Wesley Strict, who wrote Cape Fear and Arachnophobia, wrote it. Oh, okay. And uh, well, the remake of Cape Fear. And he right. wrote it okay. to be hip and trendy. He didn't write it for horror fans. He wrote it basically to be the next, like, prom night remake kind of thing. So they hired a guy named, um, was it, like, I can't remember his name, Eric Hessier, to come in and, and write, rewrite it. Hmm. And while he did a good job rewriting some parts and taking out some of the stupid crap, he kind of went against what the filmmaker was going for, which was they were trying to make you not really think about the old movie so much and kind of see this as its own, you know, its own creature. Uh-huh. And I felt that, well, I don't know if you noticed this, but Freddy dropped about six lines from several of the Elm Street movies. Uh, I, I noticed a couple. They Maybe they were twisted just a little bit. But, but not I very mean, much. Yeah, well, not, but the thing is, is I didn't, they didn't really, make, again, have an impact on me. And that's what the, they, when they started making this, they said, we do not want people to compare this to the original. Well, if you're throwing in lines from every movie in the damn series, I'm going to fucking start comparing it to the original. Well, wait, wait, wait. They, they really said that because, I mean, there were, there were two or three scenes that were basically. Shot for shot. Well, I, I don't, but yeah, basically. Well, and that's another thing, too, is, like, there were several scenes where I didn't even understand why they even used them. Like, the bathtub scene? Mm-hmm. In the original, they used that because something happens in the bathtub. But in this one, the hand comes up, scene's over. Like, right. It, it made no sense of being in there. Um, you know, I could bitch all day long about the child molester thing. The truth is, Wes, Craven, Wes Craven wrote Freddy Krueger as a child molester back in the day. And then they told him they didn't want it in there because it was, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on. They didn't feel that was the way they wanted to take the series. Well, listen, re- let me let me chime in on this. Regardless of uh, whatever happened to the original Wes Craven story, if he was a child molester or not, here's the difference. And also, you you, you probably you have to realize that the first one that I saw, the first Nightmare on Elm Street I saw was probably part three. 
Um, so, I mean, this, I mean, this may not, uh, if I were to, maybe if I were to see him in order, you know, it, cause I mean, I was way too young to get into him when I was, you know, when they originally came out, but it, it, so maybe this wouldn't have applied so much if I did see him in order, but here's the problem I had with that. And basically Freddie, the original Robert England's Freddie is kind of one of those, um, uh, villains that you, that you love to hate, you know, that he's fun, he's interesting, whatever. This guy, it's like he, I mean, he was just so repulsive that it, I mean, and, and I'm sure that's what they were going for. Oh, it had to be. But it, ha- in, it had to be. I, but the thing is, I couldn't get behind it because it's like, you know, okay, so who do I have to choose from? This really despicable piece of shit or this really kind of boring, bland, generic, quote unquote, uh, heroin, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and <clears throat> that was another thing that bothered me was, Okay, so that's where I could tell that this movie was split between writers because if they were going to go that route and make him dark and just gross and you know just a bad person like that, mm-hmm. that's fine. But they threw in so many little like one-liners toward the end where it was like they almost wanted you to chuckle a little. And no, I was in no mood. Well, exactly, and because because of the subject matter, I don't think it was. I don't think it was the kind of movie you would deliver those lines in. Right, because the and 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 I like the fact that in the original series, the whole series, they never mentioned him once as a child molester because I, I just didn't feel that was right for the character. And you know, and and I have this argument with people all the time because they're like, "Well, in the original script, he was." Well, I know, but in the original Halloween, before they were going to film Halloween one, Michael Myers was supposed to have a clown mask, and at the last minute, they spray painted a William Shatner mask. So that'd be like you saying, "Well, Michael Myers has a clown mask." Well, he doesn't because it's not in the film. Well, but I mean, I think they have a good point. But the bottom line is, is that maybe that's just the one instance where the studios were right, or whoever said was right, you know. And I, I, I don't know. I just don't see, you know, regardless of what day and age it is, whether it's the '80s or now, uh, to see a child molester becoming this fun, like you know, anti-hero. Well, yeah, just this fun. Exactly. There's no. I, I still think that's just. Uh, that the subject is just too dark and too d- disgusting to 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 glamorize, I guess. But you know, now we have this Freddy, who's this who's this uh, you know, well, uh, when I'm Robert England's Freddy, we have this guy who's you know, like, I mean, my freaking kids know who he is, you know. Yeah. And uh, it's they they think he's funny, you know. I'll sh- I've I've shown him like YouTube videos and things like that. Not like obviously I've been you know kind of not giving him the the good stuff, but. And it's like, yeah, well, this guy's really funny because I had to do that once with my daughter because she's she got so scared because she saw a poster. So I had to say, oh no, he's funny, you know. And I showed him since. I mean, it, but you know, it's like I just don't think that too much to really try to identify with um, anybody in this movie, especially Freddie. Yeah, I mean, overall, there were things I liked about this movie, and there were things I disliked, but. You know, I I really can't. I, it just when I left the theater, I immediately thought, well, that didn't feel like an Elm Street movie to me. No, it didn't. It, uh, and that I think that's the biggest travesty of it. I mean, it hadn't. There was nothing unique about it at all. I mean, even in some, even in like a lot of these remakes, there were there were things. You know, you you came out of the original, uh, or the remake of uh, 
Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which was also a Platinum Dunes. And it's like, you know what? That was a good movie. In my opinion, I liked that movie a yeah, lot. I did too, yeah. And, you know, and there's, and it's like, even though, yeah, it's not unique, it seems like they added a little bit, you know, and ask me what it is, I don't know. I, I you know, uh, I, you know, I haven't seen either the original of that one in, in quite some time, but it's this one you walked out and it was just so bland and so generic and just so it, it didn't make an impression at all. You know, it just was kind of flat. Yeah. Yeah. It really, and that, and that's a big sin if you're going to, you know, remake freaking Freddy Krueger, you know? Yeah. I mean, I really, and you know, and the thing that made it even worse is like the day after I saw this, well, no, it was about two days after I was sitting at the convention and my phone started vibrating and I picked it up and one of the horror news sites said, Warner Brothers confirms Nightmare on Elm Street 2 in 3D. And I thought, they're just going to just they're just going to take a crap all over this series now. Well, the thing is is it made its money back. Uh I think the first weekend it made 32 out of like 36 or 35 million back. Yeah. You know, so it's like it's it's as far as an investment goes, it it worked. You know, it was the number one movie the weekend it came out. Yeah. So it's like I mean I I I haven't checked on anything. I haven't I I don't know how I got that information. I remember um, somebody told me that or on a website or something like that. Because I, I actually was like, I'm not really hoping it did poorly, but just kind of like imagining that it wouldn't do well. But then somebody told me, oh no, this, you know, look here, look at this link. It's made, you know, it, it's made it a lot of money this weekend. Well, you know, I mean, it hasn't made like freaking Avatar money. But well, the two things I'm tired of hearing about this movie is one thing that I'm tired of hearing is that it's better than the original and that Haley's better than England that who, t- whoa, 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 whoa. I've Who's, heard who says that I've heard podcasters say that several people hmm. and Listen, that, that to me is like being kicked in the face <laughs> well you know the thing is again it's like I mean it's this is all opinion based so, I mean I'm it not is. gonna be I'm not gonna be like getting on their case because of their opinion however I, I mean I, I'd like to talk to someone and just and just hear their justifications, and you know, not necessarily argue with them because I'm never going to change their mind. They're never going to change my mind. But it, you know, I'd like to see some of their justifications for, um, you know, the the reason for for thinking it was this great and awesome movie, better than the original. I mean, that that's bizarre. Well, another thing I keep hearing too, and 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 it just boggles my mind because I've seen the original. Like, I mean, dude, I can't even I can't even even guess how many times I've seen the original. Right. People keep saying that. If that Haley's performance isn't silly like England's, and I'm thinking they're in they the have, original. Yeah, they have to be referencing the later films because he was not silly in the first movie. In fact, he wasn't. I mean, he was a he was a big part of it. But I mean, this didn't. He didn't. He wasn't like the main focus. The main focus seemed to be the kids and this dark entity that was that they were dealing with. Yeah. You know, I mean, kind of. I mean, almost exactly what this movie did. You know, except for they did it well. What? <laughs> but uh, I mean, you know what? And I don't want to be too negative. I feel like I've bitched long enough about it. I, I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it. I, it's, it just kind of fell in the middle for me. And for to go into a horror movie that's been established as being a classic, it has to exceed expectations. Well, see, I okay. So I, apparently, because I really did not like it. I mean, I literally, I was like, I was looking at my at my phone to to see, you know, to to waiting for it to end, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, apparently, I mean, I, I can't even say, oh, I liked it, but it wasn't this. I can't even say that. I just disliked it. I just thought it was boring. Yeah. And, you know, and and I don't, I'm not really that, I mean, I'm, I love them, but I'm, I, I, I didn't really have high expectations at all for this. Yeah. Well, and uh, I, bu- I built my hopes up way too high for it. 
No, and you know, and that. But what I'm saying is, I didn't, and it still sucked. <laughs> you know. So, I think that's you know, what I was gonna say. I did watch a, an awesome movie this past couple of weeks to make up for it, though. What'd you watch? The Human Centipede. <laughs> that was awesome, really, <laughs> dude. Okay, so uh, uh, apparently it, it's on demand if you you know if you if you have the cable on demand thing. Uh, and I watched it uh, with Derek, who does uh, the Dead Derek reviews. Uh, give him a little shout out. Dead D E R R I C K reviews dot dot com. So he, we brought it over and we and we bought it on demand, and which is basically pay per view or whatever. And uh, we're sitting there, and he'd already seen it before. And I'm like, dude, okay, so how this the the movie the story is that these people get get uh, surgically sewn ass to mouth to create a human centipede. What I mean, really, what can there be? You know, I mean, this uh, how are they going to fill an hour and a half with that? But you know, without I mean, it, it, on one hand, there isn't like this really big, deep, dark thing or twist that's going to happen. But it, but it was a really entertaining hour and a half. I mean, really? Of course, it was disgusting, and it was you know. I mean, I wouldn't say it's nearly as bad as like Cannibal Holocaust or Sallow or, or you know or anything like that. Really? But, no, it wasn't. It wasn't nearly that bad. Oh, the trailer for it just got it repulsed me so much. Oh, it's it's actually kind of fun. I mean, obviously, it wasn't meant to be funny, but it's just kind of funny because you're just like, what? <laughs> you gotta be kidding me? Because you know, it's like it was funny because you see the trailer, those two girls. Uh, well, you know, you, if you find them annoying in their voices and stuff like that, don't worry. Pretty soon they get sewed to an ass, and and then you can't hear a bitch anymore. So there you go. Well, you know what? That's one of the things we learned from that. Then that uh, yeah. anybody who's annoying, you could just sew their lips to an asshole. <laughs> oh yeah, dude. <laughs> that seems appropriate in all cases. Oh, but man, no, it was a good flick. I liked it. I'll I mean, check it I, out. I didn't like freaking love it, but it was definitely it's definitely worth a watch. What would you get? What would you give it on a uh, Cadaver Lab scale, man? Um. Oh well, I'd, I'm gonna buy that sucker. So you give it a buy? Well, just because it. First of all, it's so bizarre. Second of all, the the cover art for that, just to show that to somebody, you know how the you, you, have you seen it? They're like behind a a, a, a like a looks like a a door with a window, and you can't really see through it. But uh, you see like a bunch of hands, and then one cut. You know what I'm talking about? No, I haven't seen that. But anyways, it is, it's just like, let's just put it this way. If you if you invite some friends over, put it on the uh, the coffee table, it'll definitely start a conversation. Well, if you're a fan of ass to mouth like Mike, <laughs> oh, yeah. you'll love this. Oh, yeah, there's that too, <laughs> I guess. That's what I told uh, uh, Gray at the Dark Hours is he thought it looked great. And I, was, I said, dude, it looks like an hour and a half of ass to mouth. <laughs> Which, uh, unfortunately, it's not an hour and a half. I mean, he has to, like, catch the people and stuff, so maybe more around an hour. Oh, you know what, dude? I'm going to check it out. No, I would I would say check it out. I mean, I mean, if for no other reason than just to go, what the crap? <laughs> this is pretty cool. Sweet, man, you have anything else? You want to get some uh, voicemails going? Yeah, let's get into the voicemails. Hey, what up, Cadaver Lab? This is Chris from Cinema Corpse. Uh, I'm just leaving... Texas Frightmare Weekend, where I hung out with Johnny pretty much the whole weekend, headed back to Oklahoma. Uh, I just had one bone to pick with Johnny. Um, He left me at a steakhouse for an hour and 20 minutes. I'm just fucking with you. But, um, 
The only thing I'm mad about that is that my GPS and my phone went out in Arlington, and that was fucked up. But, sorry about the F word. I forgot. Fuzzed up. Anyways, Johnny caught me slipping when I uh, neglected to give a Cinema Corpse fan a high five. I don't think he was a fan, but he was pretty slaughtered. But, all right, well, have a good podcast. Dude, what... What are you doing, man? Okay, the steakhouse thing. <laughs> I didn't realize how close it was to the time we were supposed to meet him. And and so I said the time because that's what they were all telling me. Uh-huh. And by the time we were like on our way there and, and he called me and his phone was out of area. So I was trying to reach him and we were having this phone tag going on for a while. And he told, he'd been up there for like an hour, dude, at a steakhouse just waiting for you us. And I felt asshole. so freaking bad. <laughs> and, by the uh, way, and I apologize again to him. I mean, it's... You know, when you're doing that whole convention thing, you get, like, your times get so thrown off. Well, it was in the same time zone. I, I think that, uh, I think that you're just an a-hole. <laughs> oh, and by the way, do you think, do you think I'm ever going to get, uh, be able to stop taking crap for the whole fuzz thing? I don't think so. I mean, I think having, uh, having a, just Steven on by himself makes up for, you know, every episode that I've ever done. Yeah. <laughs> it was anyway, funny. Man. We were, he and I were, uh, we were all hanging out. I think we were, it was around the same time as Dark Knight of the Scarecrow was screening, and we were hanging out, and some dude walked up, and I think we were talking to him for a second, and the dude went to high-five Chris, and Chris just kind of looked at him, the dude goes, uh, nope, and put his hand back down, <laughs> and he walked off, and I was giving Chris shit, like, all night about that, about, dude, that guy was trying to high-five you, man, you just lost a fan. <laughs> But uh, always be good. Always be good, man, to your fans, I guess. Oh, that dude had no idea who we were. He was just sloshed. I could have told him I was one of the celebrities. He would have been like, oh, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Dude, sign my butt. I'm going to tell you guys right now, man. Chris from Cinema Corpse is one badass dude. You guys need to go to his website. And I believe it's cinemacorpse.com. And you can get him on iTunes. Type in Cinema Corpse there. I mean, this guy is a really cool dude, and he has a passion for horror. And he's very, very smart about horror. He has a he has a lot of horror knowledge. Well, not to mention he's uh he's put together some films, hasn't he? I, I've seen one of his documentaries. Good yeah, stuff. he gave me the documentary. I haven't watched it yet, but I'm pretty excited, man, because it, it's good. It's award winning. Let's kick ass. Sweet. It was a fun time. Hey there, Cadaver Lab. This is the Wolfman. Um, I want to say I like the sh- new format of the show. In particular, I enjoy the Cadaver Classic segment. Uh, listen to the new episode today, though, and I've got to ask you one thing. Mike, how can you not love a film with a necrophilic transvestite zombie midget? I mean, really, the rage, yeah, the movie shit, but you've got to give it some credit, at least having a level of creativity that most don't bother with. Uh, the Midnight Syndicate soundtrack, like Ferguson was talking about, was a good one, though I kind of prefer their older work, and, uh, well, there's a reason I listen to Nox Arcana more these days than them. Uh, speaking about Ferguson's segments, I did actually enjoy those more than I thought that I would at first. Um, in particular, a segment on Carriers. Believe it or not, what he was saying about that, what he said about the score made me want to watch a movie more than the reviews that you guys gave it. We'll see how that works out, though I think he's probably got a restraining order coming for him from Chris Pine. (laughs) Anyways, hope to listen to the next show, and uh, have a good time. Dang, dude! (laughs) Man. He he, he hates the show. 
Yeah, I. Uh, he likes Ferguson. Yeah, that was pretty much it. I like Ferguson and Steven, that Johnny and Mike guy suck balls. <laughs> hey, that's okay. That's hey, okay. That, Listen, if you're listening, man, that's cool. <laughs> no, no, I, you know, I've been called worse. I've been, I've been told worse. You know. No, that's. I actually listened to that. Um, the stuff that uh, Ferguson sent over, man, I was cracking up. That whole Chris Pine thing. What is he? He said he would uh. <laughs> eat chocolate out of his asshole and spit it back into his asshole so he could <laughs> eat it again. <laughs> Something like that. I was cracking up, man. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, uh, stay tuned for more of that this episode, by the way. Oh, that guy's great. Yo, Canaveral Lab, this is Uno Shadow. I'm here at the fucking Texas Frankmare with goddamn Dr. Puss. Oh, good lab, man. He's a good old Dr. Puss in West Virginia. You know, where we like sheep and we like goats. I just want to give a big old shout-out to fucking Cadaver Lab. Because you guys just fucking rock. And I listen to you every time. And I listen to you at work before I had to work on patients. And then I pity those poor goddamn fools. Because I go crazy on them. You guys are just fucking great. I love y'all. This is good old Dr. Pop saying, just kill them all. <laughs> okay, wait, we're... Yeah. Yo, Cadaver Lab, once again, this is uh, Uno Shadow calling in from Texas Frank Mayor. I'd like to just say one thing. Mike, you fucked the fuck up, sir. This is the biggest, most packed fucking room I've ever seen at a fucking convention. And once again, you fell, but this time... Unlike the last fucking convention at Horror Home, where you guys both skipped, your color showed up. Check it out. You're here. What's up, Mike? Hey, this is Johnny. Here party with these guys at Horror Home. Right weekend. Right there. I'm not even in a drink, and I'm fucking up the name. Anyway, dude, you're really missing out, man. I hope you're having fun on that yacht. You suck. Goddamn, Mike. You're dog's fun. Why the fuck is you here? Just... It would just really make it really nice if everybody on the podcast was here. But you didn't make it. But I got everybody from my podcast here, and we roll. Never living good. God damn it. Go listen to it now. Thank you, sir. <laughs> really? Okay, the first thing I want to say is uh, it was not a yacht. It was a houseboat. What was a yacht? It was a houseboat. Uh, they're not the same. No, I don't think they are. No, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't say they're. I'm I'm a nautical expert, but I'm pretty sure they're not the same. It, it, the, everything they said there actually sounded. Uh, I could actually understand it more in person. Like I could understand a lot of it on the voicemail. Well, it seems like uh, they were a little inebriated. I don't know if Patrick was, but I know that Doctor Puss may have been. They were, dude. These guys were. If really who cool. was Doctor Puss? No, who was it? Patrick. If Patrick. I'm pretty sure that's his name. I didn't. I I don't know his real name. Yeah, the, yeah, that was Patrick that the that I met. <laughs> like, Uno Uno Chateau. Yeah. You know what? You know what's a really good thing. And I was and I was going to mention this. Uh, apparently, they did really well the, over there at the Library of the Living Dead. They, they, I saw pictures of their booth, and they, you know, freaking Doctor Puss is the man. You know, putting out all these books, distributing all these books. Um, you know, we all love Rob Best, and there's you know Uno and and Rainer uh, Freighter. Yeah, for, you know, and the thing is, what a kick-ass thing to do, man! 
And uh, from what I heard over Twitter and, and Facebook the whole time is that they did really well and sold out a, a, out of a lot of stuff, and it's awesome. You know, I would just say go down there um, to their website, Library of the Living Dead, and, uh, you know, it's it's unbelievable how good these guys are, but the, how not well-known they are. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I, and they were really, really cool people to be. I mean, they were probably one of my – besides Chris, they were, you know – part of the best part you know the best part of the weekend well that's awesome i just you know congrats to those guys for number one doing what they do and second for you know doing really well with the sales of their books i mean um you know i wish nothing but the best for those guys i bought one you did I which one a zombology oh yeah okay i have that one yeah i haven't read it yet but uh man i uh i'm pretty excited about it it was the last i bought the last copy of it oh i'm actually surprised that uh to learn that you know how to read you know what? Um, Nothing. Well, hey, that, that I, was like I, a really jerky thing to say. I am from the Florida school system, so <laughs> okay. I, I will say this: that it is, it is a miracle that I do know how to read. Well, you know, we're just happy. We're, you know, <laughs> we we all know what you've had to overcome. But it, at any rate, that sounded like a freaking good time, and uh, I did f the f up <laughs> by not going. <laughs> Those guys are awesome. Hey guys, it's Gracie's Bobby. How's it going? I uh, just wanted to give Ferguson some love here and his monologues. And it, I like this segment. It's really cool. Uh, music is an important part of the movies, especially the score. And who better to do it than Ferguson because man definitely knows his shit. So it is kind of weird to hear him talk all serious about it. But eventually, you know, he does throw in that Ferguson flavor that we all love. And that's it. And I will talk to you guys later. Bye. Dude. Dude, he has no idea the flavor of Ferguson. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? There are very few that do, and let's just say it is the forbidden fruit. <laughs> that is awesome. I'm glad people are calling and saying how much they liked it, because when I listened to our last episode, that was probably my favorite part of the whole show was Ferguson's uh, little segments. Awesome, dude. Like, I was I was cracking up, but it was, it, you know, I was learning a lot about the scores, so it was, uh -huh. re it was really cool. Well, uh, yeah, the whole th the whole Chris Pine thing. Yeah. I mean, as if any of us really disagree with what he said, but at least Ferguson has the balls to say it. Yeah. Well, I like the line. He had a line in there about how he would uh, how he would uh, fake a pregnancy just so Chris would stay with him longer. <laughs> you know, we all would, but he had the balls to say it. <laughs> that's that's exactly right, man. <laughs> Ooh, baby, massive Mike Dava. How you doing? It's I, Doyer, from the Drunken Zombie Podcast. Dude, I'm just calling to be like, Keep up the good work on the super long, super massive episodes. You know, I haven't been to work in, like, days. Because they're like, you know, Cadaver Lab, 57, four hours long. I'm like, really? Man. It's like, Cadaver Lab, 58, 10 hours and 18 minutes. I'm like, oh, come on now. But no, no massiveness. Keep up the good work. You want to, the other dude, Johnny, yes, he's pretty massive also, you know, stuff like that. But, uh. The segments you and Steven do, that's, that's doing his favorite on the show besides, you know, hear myself on your voicemail line. Pretty massive. Anyway, guys, you keep up the good work, and remember, massive. Dude, maybe I should start listening to these before I play them. I am massive. <laughs> Thank you, Doiner. <laughs> that was awesome. First of all, a couple things, okay? Uh, the massive long episodes, I don't see them stopping in the foreseeable future. What, the, the, the length? Yeah. Yeah. 
I don't think so either. Uh, and I think that uh, I think that we've uh, what were we at now? We're at uh, about uh, let's see, about thirty nine minutes right now. Yep. Yeah. Um, this one's gonna be another long one. Yeah, because we haven't gotten into the main movies yet. Johnny, you know what, Johnny? Even though a lot of people seem to like Stephen, I really like you, man. You know what? Um, you and I both do. I think it's. I think. I think we're the reason I'm still on the show. I think if we're up to the fans, I'd be oh, hanging no. out with Oscar the Grouch in the dumpster. No, no, no. Nah, no. There's actually, you know, what? there are a lot of people that like me. I keep telling myself that. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Dwayne. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for. Uh, yeah, but you know what's funny is uh, this episode. You'll notice that we're playing a bunch of uh, drunken zombie promos. Yeah, from Doiner. <laughs> yeah, that's how we really feel about him. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you you haven't heard him yet. Yeah, Johnny. I haven't heard him. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, just wait, <laughs> bastard. Hey, Mike and Johnny, this is Misfit Boy here. Uh, Colin, let you know I'm enjoying the show more and more as the weeks go by, and I was wondering if there was any chance in you guys doing a uh, paranoia episode where you can put like uh, there's a couple movies I just uh, saw. I rewatched them again for the first time in a while. The first one was uh, Right at Your Door, and it was a really good movie. I don't really want to give anything away from it. Uh, you should check it out. And the other one was from 2006 called Bug. It was starred Ashley Judd, and that was really creepy. And I'm sure there's a bunch of other ones you could throw in there. Just a thought. Um, also, Johnny, I'm glad to hear Shelly's doing better. I see on Twitter, everybody's sending messages to you and that. It's always good when people in the horror community get together for something like that. And that's about it. I just wanted to call, check in, and see how you guys are doing. And also, Mike, Cavs and Jazz in the finals. Come on, man. Let it happen. This is it, boy, man. I'm out of here, guys. Take care. Later. You know, let, me, let, me, let me start off by saying one thing, okay? Yep. Cavs and Jazz. That did did you did you understand what he said? Yeah, Cavs yeah, and jazz, Cavs. baby. Good. You know that's something I can live with. Ain't gonna happen, but it's something I can live with. <laughs> I'm gonna cry. Anyway. Man, I would like to say thanks to Misfit Boy and actually everybody who has sent out their um you know, their well wishes for Shelly and I. Um my girlfriend Shelly actually yesterday had some heart problems and they had to we had to go to the emergency room real early in the morning, and they had to stop her heart and restart it. She had a lot of, you know, she had some problems, but, um, you know, she's doing better. She's, you know, still kind of sore and stuff, but you know, th- she's a lot better than she was, and, you know, we're thankful for that. And every single person who has been there to tell me, you know, how supportive they are and stuff, I really, we really appreciate that, so thank you. Well, you know, and, you know, uh, we know that she's a really good lady. You want to know how? She puts she's up with your ass. ass. Yep, exactly. <laughs> she awesome. my, She goes to the horror convention with me. That's pretty damn cool. No, yep. You know what? It's something that uh, that should be cherished forever and ever. Yes. But we we appreciate that. Cool, man. Hey, thanks for the call. Hey, Mike and Johnny. It's John from the UK. Um, bit of a crap one this week because I'm full of, like, man flu, cold rubbish. Um, but just hope you're doing well. And, man, I can, like, sort of, Big respect for you for watching the films you watched it last time, and them films are just harsh. No good, no good. Um, but just hope everything's okay with Johnny and things that's going up at the moment. And Mike at Kadawa Lab, just keep up all the good stuff. And all your things about your baseball games or whatever they are, I don't know what you're on about, but you know, I'm sure you're having a good time with it. 
Um, and yeah, so uh, that's what I've got to say really this week, man, because I'm ill and I'm a bit whatever. But uh, congratulations to Misfit Boy for winning the first competition on my new uh, blog, Johnny's Court Films. And um, yeah, I'm a man and I'm Marty and I'm full of cold. So you guys take care. Looking forward to the show again. See you later from me and my lady Emma. Take care, man. Bye. Dude, <laughs> baseball or whatever? What? <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I really love getting voicemails from him, man. He's a really cool dude. Dude, yeah, he didn't sound like he felt very well, man. We hope you get better. <laughs> yeah, man, hope you feel better. I've actually been like that the last uh, week or so, man. I've been just congested as hell, dude. Something's go- it's just this weather, and I imagine, I guess, in the U.K., they have uh, the same kind of seasonal al- allergies or something. Uh, you know, I'm not sure. But uh, sounds like it. <laughs> he kind of he kind of sounded like when he's sick. You know what he sounds like a little bit. Me? He sounds like an American dude trying to do a, a British or an English accent. <laughs> <laughs> is that weird? Is that weird? Is that offensive? I hope I hope they no. don't think that's offensive or anything like that. You know, what I mean, you, sounded you, a little bit like uh, you just trash groovy, his heritage, baby. But... No, I didn't. No, I'm just we, we share the same heritage. <laughs> Actually, no, I don't. I actually share the same heritage with the with the doctor in uh, Human Centipede. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyways, he mentioned his blog. By the way, it kicks ass. Johnny's Cult Films. Um, he actually got me to want to watch the show uh, Shaitan. Um, no, but uh, he's got a trade. Talks a little bit about it. But uh, yeah, go to. I, I uh, actually submitted a trivia question. For uh, for those of you out there, he's giving away all sorts of awesome stuff. Um, and uh, the right now the competition is to get a question that I submitted. And uh, it kicks ass and it's really hard and you have to practically be a genius to, uh, to uh, um, get it right. Uh, you can go there and try, but uh, you'll definitely get wasted. Three inches. But, uh, <laughs> that's, that's the I, answer. I, what's that? Three inches. <laughs> Oh, I freaking wish. <laughs> Anyways, no, Johnny's cult film.blogspot.com. He's a kick ass guy, as we say. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, even even if he sounds a little bit like uh, Mike Myers in um, whatever the hell that show is called Austin Powers. <laughs> that groovy baby. <laughs> all right, that's all we got for voicemails. Uh, appreciate everybody calling in. And uh, you want to take a quick break and uh, come right back, talk about some flicks? Yep, be right back with the. Uh the hell movie are we doing first? Well, let's keep him in suspense. All right. <laughs> are you looking for a massive horror podcast? Well, forget about the cadaver lab. Head over to drunkenzombie.com. Now, that's some quality podcasting. Because Drunken Zombie was podcasting before podcasting was cool. And that's massive. Dear Chasey Lane, I wrote to explain I'm your biggest fan. I just wanted to ask, could I eat your ass right back as soon as you can? You had a lot of dick, had a lot of dick. I've had a lot of time, had a lot of time. You've had a lot of dick, Chasey, but you ain't had mine. Dear Chasey Lane, I wrote to complain, you never wrote me back. How could I ever eat your ass when you treat your biggest fan like that? 
you ain't had mine. Dear Chasey Lane, I wrote to constrain this letter is my last. As your biggest fan, I must demand you let me eat your ass. You ain't had mine. P.S. Mom and Dad, this is J.C. J.C., this is my mom and dad. Now show them them titties. Now show them them titties. P.S. Mom and Dad, this is J.C. J.C., this is my mom and dad. Now show them them titties. Now show them them titties. Would you fuck me for blow? And we are back with Midnight Movie from 2009. Give him a break. You should give her a break, Bobby. That was strong stuff you gave her. Five bucks as the blonde gets naked. <laughs> it's a horror movie. Somebody always gets naked. Now the concession girl said this movie's like 40 years old. I heard that they actually killed people when they made the movie. It's just suburban men. This is the first screening of his movie since he disappeared. If he's out there, he'll show up. The prank of all pranks. <laughs> it's Sully up there. Yeah, yeah, I know. Oh! It's not real. I'm not gonna look like a fool on some reality show. TV show. It's the killer from the movie, and he's here in this theater. No, they say scary movies are an aphrodisiac. If you get turned on by this, we're breaking up. Midnight Movie, score composed by Penka Konev. Or however the fuck you say that. I don't know. Anyways, she's actually from Bolivia, and she's been a uh, orchestrator for numerous movies. Uh, she's worked with everybody from Steve Jablonski, Hans Zimmer, uh, you name it. Uh, she's been in the industry for quite a while, so she obviously has a good understanding of how film music works. Well, she should, at least. Luckily for us... Um, she scored movies such as Ice Spider and The Chupacabra Terror. Thank God the Sci-Fi Channel exists. Otherwise, I would never know the joys of having a boner in my mouth. Her score follows a very predictable pattern, which you can't entirely blame her for, considering the movie itself follows a very predictable pattern. You see, her score builds attention. Then it goes into some sort of string, uh, rhythmic action cue, which resolves itself in a piano cue. The entire movie does this over and over and over again until it finally ends, and you get more of that shitty God-smack wannabe music that they had at the beginning during the opening credits. Or Creed, I don't know, maybe it's, it's Creed wannabe. It's kind of somewhere in there. It's just, it's that, that, that shit area between... The cock of Godsmack and the asshole of Creed. It's that, that gooch area in the middle there. 
is where that music fits. Um, an effective device that uh, Penka does use in this score is is switching uh, her orchestration um, so that she actually has two separate uh, feelings for the movie. Uh, one for the real world and one for the black and white movie the world. Um, the best use of this, I think, was uh, from Trevor Jones' score for From Hell, when Jack the Ripper's music would uh, go from the real life to uh, the music played on like the phonograph. It's the exact same uh, theme and music, but it was orchestrated completely different, and it's just genius. Uh, it's not as genius in this case, but it does actually work pretty well to kind of set the mood for the difference between uh, the black and white movie and the real world. And it's kind of cool. And nothing that happens here in this score is too incredible. Like I said, her music follows a pretty predictable pattern. It does that also in her actual composition. Overall, uh, the music doesn't set any incredibly dark tone. It doesn't evoke any great scares. I think it's it's fairly obvious that Penka's scoring uh, is weaker than her orchestrating. But in the end, I think she does a fine job with uh, the, with what she has. Dude, did he say something about getting a boner? Yeah, with uh, his, mouth. his mouth. Oh, <laughs> man, that's awesome, dude. You know, um, I had no idea. I don't know. There were several things. Like, I, I had no idea that Trevor Jones, who did Labyrinth, I didn't realize he actually kept making music for movies. Are you serious? I, you know what? I love the Labyrinth soundtrack. No, no, I know I love Labyrinth, no, but I, I haven't really seen his name since then. I, I didn't realize it was in From Hell. And he uh, and he shows up again for this. Sh uh, anyways, why don't we talk about the movie a little bit? Sure. Okay. Um, the IMDb score for this movie is 5.0. It is written and directed by Jack Messett. It is starring Rebecca Brandis as Bridget, Daniel Bonjour as Josh, Greg Cyrillnik as Mario, Mandel Mon as Samantha, Stan Ellsworth as Harley, Melissa Steech as Babe, and Bree Grant as Rachel. And the synopsis is. At a seedy theater in a sleepy suburban town, a group of friends get together for a midnight screening of an early 1970s horror film, unaware that the director-slash-star of the film has something more in store for them than an evening of innocent jolts. Good-natured heckling as the movie begins is replaced with horrified disbelief when the movie's grotesque villain butchers one of their friends on screen. Will they be able to overcome this killer before they are pulled into his supernatural celluloid world? We'll find <laughs> out. Well, that was... Like, it's ridiculous. <laughs> that plot synopsis was stupid. All right, the first thing the first thing I want to mention about this movie is the 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 girl and the main girl in this, uh, Rebecca Brandis. Yeah, I actually believe that she was like sixteen in this, but she was like twenty three. No, she's old. She's older than that. Well, she was two. Th she was twenty three back when this came out in two thousand eight. Really? Well, I think she. I looked it up because I, I was thought like, she was oh my, my age. Gosh. Well, she's 25 now. That's pretty she's close. She's born in 85, you know. Yeah, I'd be in but, her butt. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, uh, you know, I, it, but uh, again, that just, show, that just shows how old how old I'm getting. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, I'm just, because she was really cute. I just am glad that uh, she wasn't that young. <laughs> the uh, well, First of all, I got to start off by saying that the boy, her little brother who played Timmy in this movie, I believe he was channeling the spirit of the kid from Troll 2. 
Dude, I, I have not seen that movie in so long that there is no possible way I can I even know what you're talking about. Hey, that kid who played Timmy in this, his acting was freaking horrendous. Like, oh yeah, let's let's say, but what are you picking on Timmy for, man? It's not as if anybody else here had it really going on. Yeah, I mean, you know, that is fair. But I've, I have seen some of these people in other movies, so I know they can act. Whereas uh, that little kid with the mullet, he didn't really, pull, <laughs> he didn't he didn't pull it off. I don't know, man. I'll I'll be honest with you here. The, I mean, the movie seemed to be seemed to have a pretty decent. Uh, uh, plot, you know, uh, idea behind it. It had a good story, and honestly, they. I think what it was is, is they. I think they were really ambitious with this. Um, I just don't think that they pulled it off. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't want to be a dick again for talking about a movie that I don't like. But there, I there was just I did not like this movie. I didn't either. And, and the thing is, is it was uh, uh, th- there's a ton of things about it I didn't like. And I, you know, like I said, I don't want to I don't want to dwell on it or anything like that. But uh, I had a real hard time with most of the characters. I I didn't like them, even the quote unquote good guys. Secondly, the bad guy, the the slasher in this, didn't seem that menacing. In fact, there was a guy in this called what was his name, uh, Harley. Yeah, he was the biker dude. Yeah. Freaking giant dude, and he just, he, I don't know why he didn't just, like, go over and, in, in, uh, like, karate chop him in the neck or, or something. I mean, I realized that he was supernatural, but this, I mean, that, by the way, I did like the, the, the big biker guy. But uh, the killer wasn't scary, and he walked around with, like, a, a fake limp, oh, which, which just really was like, are you freaking shitting me? The- this is they're they're trying to pull it off. I don't know. I I don't think that they. Oh, and, and another thing about the killer is uh, Ferguson talked about how they did you know uh, the black and white when they were actually showing the movie, and then uh, I don't know if you mentioned it, but uh, he he actually comes out of the movie to kill and and you know takes the people who he's killed back into the movie and traps them in there or whatever. But anyways, uh, you know he didn't actually look that bad. Um, when he was black and white, you know, because a lot of the details you couldn't really tell. You couldn't, you know, really see a lot of the contrast between the colors in his in his costume. But when he got into real life, he just looked like a dildo. Oh yeah, not not and not literally. No, he, he that would have been okay with me. <laughs> um, the the movie, uh, The Dark Beneath, the one that they were watching, uh-huh. where, where supposedly the the director slash actor went crazy and you know started killing people. The, you know, it. It would have been more entertaining to watch that movie than this one. I agree with you, except for when I was kind of upset when they put on the dark beneath, and it wasn't a movie solely about my asshole. <laughs> no, that's uh, well, that would be copyright infringement. That's uh, <laughs> maybe that's trademark Cadaver Lab two thousand nine. <laughs> um, Ten. Well, no, it was last year. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sorry. But um, you know, there were a lot of things. You know, they they overaged the film. You know, all the lines and stuff. That you know, I can uh-huh. I can look past stuff like that. That doesn't... well, the, yeah, but the thing is, at the same time that they overaged the film, it was really it, they. It almost seemed like an overlay to a pretty you know crisp black and white film. It it, it kind of looked unnatural a little bit. You know, but that's that's okay. That didn't I mean, I can give that to him. I mean, this was a what, a one million dollar budget, I think is what it was. You know, so what what are you gonna do? You have to give low budget movies a thing, but uh I think that plus everything else did not help. Did you recognize the house in the film? What that was from? No. That was it, not- it looked looked like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre one, but I, I don't recognize it for real. Well you're pretty close. It's actually the house used in Devil's Rejects. Oh really? Yep. 
Excellent. And, well, we know that, that it's not the house's fault that this movie sucked. Yeah, I mean, the house, I mean, is completely <laughs> blameless in this. Um, <laughs> you know, basically this girl is the, the she's like the theater, like, what, like apprentice manager kind of thing? Yeah, and she's like, like I said, she looks like she's 16. Yeah, so she's pretty hot. And she... <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> no, she, um... So she actually is kind of, but, but she, we'll, she was all right. You, it was just the, well, what I'm saying is, is you, I just want to make sure that uh, people know that you said she's 16, comma, new idea. She's pretty hot. And not she's 16, so she's pretty hot. Listen, I, I'm doing this for you, all right? Are you really? Dude, that's what I meant. <laughs> okay, right. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, but um, so basically her boyfriend shows up and he's like, oh, well, we should watch this movie and you should hand off your man- manager duties to some lackey who doesn't know how to change soda. Um, right. So basically, she goes to watch this movie. Her brother shows up, who is the piss-poor actor. He <laughs> he wants to see the movie, too. She tells him to go home. And all these crazy shenanigans start happening. Um, <laughs> this friend, who nobody seems to like, shows up and starts eating popcorn and like basically shitting his pants during the movie. Oh, that's right. And so they get rid of him. And that's when they realize that this stuff is real, is, is he... They actually see his death on screen. Right. And they think it's part of some, like, elaborate prank, but then them and the cops that are there and then Harley, and they go out to the lobby and they see there's blood, and which is really funny because they don't realize that this is, you know, real, so they're kicking around, like, pieces of body parts and stuff on the floor, <laughs> which, I mean, I found that funny because... Oh, yeah, sure. But, um, I don't know. There were just things in this movie, man. I, I just... There were so many things in this movie where I just had a problem with it. You know, let me mention one thing. The very first scene, um, before we even start with the theater or anything like that, and it's kind of one of those situations where you see what's going on, and then, oh, five years later or whatever, and then that's when the theater uh, storyline starts. Anyhow, they get the, I think it was the director of the film, he's going crazy. They have him in this, like, police station, harnessed to this chair, you know, and, you know, I'm pretty typical. I mean, nothing really special about that. But he gets loose and, you know, he starts cutting himself and he draws these, all of these, um, like, it looks like ancient uh, hieroglyph type deals on the walls and satanic script or something that looks like it. But they don't really go anywhere with it, you know. But, 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 I mean, not, not to, not to get ahead of myself, but the thing is, is that first scene, I was, after the first scene, I was like, okay, you know what? This has some promise. You know, but then it, we get to the whole deal. We're dealing with teenage, um, teenage relationships, things like that. And it's just, I don't know. It kind of, it kind of lost me a little bit. And then I kind of got bugged that, that, um, even though they set us up for this potential awesome backstory with, you know, with the, with the scribe in his blood and all this other stuff, um, that they didn't, uh, that basically we never knew what was going on with the movie. He, you know, all we know is that he went crazy and this movie, you know, has some supernatural elements to it. But, um, you know, they never really connected the dots for me. And, and maybe this is just a, a little bit nitpicky, but I do like when people come up with a, like a really clever backstory, uh, you know, really interesting backstory for a movie. I mean, I, I don't mind like a, a, an unnamed killer and we don't know what's going on or, or whatever, you know, but every, but I think every once in a while, it's just really cool when somebody comes up with a completely original background idea. And I thought that's what we were going to have. I figured, you know what? Well, this is a low budget deal, but it's, I can forgive their shortcomings, you know, as long as they come up with something awesome for a backstory. Well, you know, this movie I was watching the the like the special features, 
and they said that this movie was shot. It was it was shut down for a while, like because they oh. they had no money. So basically, they were waiting to pick back up and start filming again. They could have they could have tweaked the script, man. Well, sure, they had plenty of time. Well, you know, and and it, it yeah. I don't know. I don't. I don't want to continue to bag on. I. I wasn't that impressed with it. No, they had a lot of filler scenes in this movie, and I felt that it was. This movie was about seventy minutes long. Yeah. And I feel that if they cut the filler out, this would have been about forty minutes. Now, I think it's been established that you and I aren't huge fans of the show. Yeah. Now let's uh, let me let me bring something up. Um, there were a few reviews on the, on the wiki page for this movie. And I want to read a couple. And like I said, I don't want to judge anybody's opinion, but I, I kind of want to see if we can make any sense out of these. Okay, you ready? Mm-hmm. Um, from Gorezone Magazine, five out of five stars. To say that this film absolutely kicks ass would be the understatement of the year. From the Huffington Post, one of the ten best direct-to-DVD horror movies ever. This is simply a rock-solid, old-fashioned, scary movie that happens to have debuted on DVD... Uh, Midnight Movie is one of the best low-budget direct-to-DV slasher pictures yet made. Uh, one more. Uh, let's see. Let's get from somebody who I know. Uh, HorrorNews.net. Clearly the most original horror film I've seen this year. I'll watch it one... Let's see. I'll watch this one many times in the years ahead. So how do you figure that? Do we just have our heads up our butts? No, I I have no idea. I actually... And, and, they're, and they're literally... There are, I have uh, maybe 15, 20 of those that are exactly that that uh, high on this movie. Do you remember when on Kruger Nation I did the like the top 20 films of the past 10 years? Uh-huh. This movie was on several other people's top 10 lists, or top 20 lists. Well, you know, so... I don't, I, I don't I see it myself, but... I guess that goes to just the difference of opinion. I'm not, I mean, I'm not going to blast somebody for liking it. I just don't understand. I, it just it seemed a little bit too shallow for what I thought I was being set up for. This movie, basically, where it ends is where it should have started getting interesting. No. You know, the very Could end. Could be. Yeah, exactly. And I didn't well, feel like this movie... And the funny thing is, is if they cut out all the filler, and they would have another, uh, you know... Uh, 50 minutes to 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 finish up the show, you know, to, to make this into a whole other movie. Exactly. I mean, the effects on this were really good. The practical effects were really good. Yeah. I had no problem with that. The killer, I read something saying that this is the killer that the slasher we've been waiting for, you know, the new slasher. And I thought that was really funny because not only did I not like him and his limp and his little, like, garden tool, Dude, dude, they've been. They must have been waiting for a slasher that uh, uses only half of a slinky to kill people. Exactly, that's what it was. It was. Uh, <laughs> it was. It was a slinky. But the fact that when the movie ended, and I watched the credits, and it said "Killer" was his name. It was Killer. Like you, you got to give him more depth than that if you want him to be the next slasher. You can't just call him Killer. Killer. That's not going to. You know, he's mysterious. You go to the mask shop around Halloween and say, I want a killer mask. They're not going to find this guy. <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, the mask sucked anyway. <laughs> yeah. You know, some of the cool, there were some cool scenes. Like, I like the scene at the very end where the girl and her brother were sitting in the theater and he went up to her face and was, you know, she was trying to pray. I thought that was really cool. Mm-hmm. And I thought that, you know, if they had more scenes like that, this could have been really neat. But it really fell short with me. Yeah, me too. 
I disagree with you on those. I I kind of felt I kind of felt that was a little bit uh, cliche, contrived. <laughs> but whatever. Listen, that's cool. Whatever. Man, did you uh, get a kick in the balls for this movie? Uh, I have two kick in the balls. Two. Uh, first of all, Mar. I have I have a kick for each ball. Oh wow. <laughs> Uh, Mario, be- because uh, he was just a big pussy the whole time. And he thought he was a badass. Uh, but second, Harley for not just kicking the butt of the killer. He <laughs> was like three times the size of the killer. He was this madman biker, and he, you know, he should have just like <laughs> let loose and beat the shit out of this guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought he could have. <laughs> he definitely. That guy was huge. Uh, my, my kick of the balls goes to Mario. He was... Uh, he was a tool bag. He let his girl die. You know, he was an asshole the whole movie. He was talking. You know what's funny is he was talking crap to Harley after Harley almost killed him. <laughs> yeah. Which I thought was really funny because it's like, you know, he's still talking crap right after that. And overall, I did not like Mario's death. I thought for him being the most unlikable character, he should have had a really awesome death. <laughs> Do you know what he kind of reminds me of? You know those little dickweeds that drive around in their little cars that are kind of loud? Yeah, and then uh, and then they have like D D C stickers on the back, or I don't even know what that is. You know what it is? It's a shoe brand. Well, I don't I don't even know that, but he he just looks like one of those dickweeds that wears white sunglasses. I hope I'm not offending you, me or anybody. Oh, I'm not, is what I'm I'm not I offended. But uh, yeah, if you if you have that and wear white glasses, you're a douchebag. <laughs> anyway, you know what was funny is I was watching behind the scenes on this and. The, uh-huh. the director and the editor, they, they think pretty highly of this movie. I mean, they think that this is like, they were talking about how suspenseful and how great they made, you know, how <laughs> they, of a movie they made. And I thought, you know, I don't know how being right out of the gate, you could think you're that great. I mean, well, you're not going to well, say your I movie mean... sucks, but you're not going to, I mean, it seemed like they were a little too over <laughs> positive about Just a, it. Just a, a little, a little, uh, maybe they were... A little too proud of themselves. That's, that's what it felt like. And I, oh, cool. Um, did you get any who else said that? Uh, you know what? I I didn't only because I was so I, – I kind of was just kind of just hoping this movie would end. <laughs> I only have one, so, you know, I'm only one ahead of you. Okay. <laughs> uh, Boston wasn't a jam. It was a hell of a party. That was Carl Bertanananaluski from Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Yeah. <laughs> Boston wasn't a jam. It was a hell of a party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did have a line I wanted to make one for, but then I just I gave up out of apathy. What was that? It was if you get turned on by this, we're breaking up. I that could have led to so many dirty, funny jokes. That was uh Mark Kelly's girlfriend when he was peeing on her. No, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> if you're turned on by peeing on me, we're breaking up. <laughs> Oh, dude. Did you learn so, anything? Um, um, I learned that sometimes slinkies can be used as murder weapons and uh, that uh, sometimes it's okay to knock handicapped people over. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh, man. I learned that you never, ever, you never dare someone, you never say, if you want her, you have to go through me. Because sometimes they straight up will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. They'll go right through you. That was a cool kill. Yeah, it was. You know, um, and also I learned that you know there were a f- there were a few co- cool kills. You know, and uh, obviously there has to be something to this movie, or else why would all those other people give such great reviews? And there apparently there's some that people found to enjoy. And, and if I were to to choose one thing, 
they were all the kills were pretty good. Yeah, I, I didn't mind those at all. And even the the effects later where they showed the the af- the aftermath of the kills. Yeah, I like that too. Cool. Uh, and I also learned that um, you know you are a badass when you carry a two inch blade. <laughs> like you're not overcompensating at all. <laughs> a two inch blade. That biker pulled out that knife, and it was seriously the, the blade was probably like an inch and a half. Well, dude, that guy's so big that his hands probably like three feet wide. He's like got a couple. He's it's like holding a pocket knife in a catcher's mitt. <laughs> <laughs> nice. What would you give this? Um. Well, I guess my final thoughts are. Uh, it seemed like it had really big aspirations. It just, you know, it seemed like it could have been really cool, but it just kind of fell flat. And I'd give it a note. Don't bother. I I was between Don't Bother and AMC. I think I'm going to go AMC on this just because I think it's worth seeing once if you see it on TV. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it was nothing special. Well, I yeah, I don't know. I, I'm sticking with it. I just, I don't know. I have a six, that good. I have a six degrees. Let's hear it. Uh, Brie Grant, who played Rachel, she was in Halloween 2 with Dwayne Whitaker, who was in From Dusk Till Dawn 2 with Bruce Campbell. Kick ass. Hell yeah. And so I think that wraps it up for this. you have anything else? That's it. Uh, we'll be right back. Sweet. Are you tired of dick and fart jokes over at the Cadaver Lab? Well, head over to DrunkenZombie.com. That's high-quality podcast material over there. You got the massive one-doiner with the DVD special feature spotlights, baby. Then you got the podcast itself by Brian, Randy, Wes, and Dave, and sometimes producer Amanda, baby. Fuck it like a monkey, and Uncle Randy loves those monkeys. So this Cadaver Lab, Mike Cadaver Lab, Massive Mike, he likes to call himself. You know, he's taking the Massive part for me, of course. You know, Massive Daughter, Massive Mike, you know. He's trying to steal all my material and the Drunken Zombie material, if you will. So head over to DrunkenZombie.com because we're the coolest, baby. God knows I'm helpless to speak on my own behalf. God is as helpless as me.
All right, we're back with uh, Poultry Guys, Night of the Chicken Dead from 2006. You're the manager. You know it. Give me a job. I'm a high school graduate just, just trying to make his way in this topsy-turvy world. My life, it, it sucks. And my one true love? I'll yeah. stay true to you. It'll never change me. Uh-huh. I promise. As a left-wing, lipstick, lesbo-liberal. Ah, Wendy! Arby? You said you'd never change, but but here you are, you're just bumping tacos. <laughs> you're high. What do I do? You're the counter girl. You fools! This restaurant is built on ancient Tomahawk tribe, sacred Indian burial grounds. Get out while you still can. Get out! Save yourselves! Save yourselves! Um, I'll have the Sloppy Jose value meal. Good morning, Trollmobile! We will never rest while big business tramples over the rich history and culture of the Native Americans while simultaneously slaughtering countless innocent chickens! Hey, General, what are these tiny little bumps all over my chicken? Those are, uh, our new Flavor Pods! Ooh, Flavor Pods! Just look at the atrocities American Chicken Bunker performs on the chickens that you serve to the ignorant masses! We produce only high-quality chicken-flavored foodstuffs! And now, the most important part. The secret zest sauce. Every leg, every thigh is fresh, tasty, and oh my god, my ass! The chicken! The chickens come back from the dead! They are very slowly approaching the entrance. They'll break through faster than the five minutes it took me to turn Wendy into a full-blown lesbian! Damn it! We need action before they turn the glass into lesbians! been such a lethal combination of chicken and Indians since Tandoori was introduced to the American people. Poultrygeist. Music composed by Doogie Bannis. Granted, it could be Dougie, but, you know. Aside from the fact that I really don't give a shit, I prefer Doogie because of Doogie Hauser, Because he's bad ass. It's a trauma movie, so you pretty much know what to expect going into it. You're going to have this pop and punk shit all over the place from bands you've never heard of and probably never will hear of again. But Troma, no, they don't just stop there. They take the astastic formula that is a Troma movie and they enhance it with the dingleberry sauce that is the musical. The cast does sing their own songs. Uh, they were pre-recorded in a studio in New York and... Then they have to lip-sync along with it on the set. Uh, the songs were written uh, by Doogie Bannis uh, with the help of some of the cast and, um, and especially Lloyd Kaufman. Uh, you know, the rest of the movie is the true trauma-style punk and pop shit. 
that you may or may not normally ever listen to, but for some reason it's just so goddamn great in a trauma movie. Music for all trauma movies falls into the comedic category of composition, uh, where you basically have elements of the character or whatever's going on for that moment. Usually composing for a comedy is pretty demanding, uh, but not always that cool of a composition once it's done. Uh, especially in this case, the, the fact is that what's required of Doogie to score this movie is for each character he's got to come up with basically a stereotypical or racial theme that fits them. It's the idea that if a Mexican is on screen, you play mariachi music. If you have Hamas on screen, you play Middle Eastern sitar music. It's just shit like that that in any other context would be completely racist. But it's trauma. They can get away with anything. So shit like that works. And it's hilarious. It just adds to another layer of just ridiculousness. Uh, Doogie does a good job with uh, all of the different things he does in here. There's no actual, like, scary cues or anything that builds any tension. It's pretty much all goofy. Even when uh, it's supposed to be a little more scary at the end with a big invasion. You know, they play it off more with humor than they do the actual, uh, like, scariness. In fact, I'm pretty damn sure that when Lloyd Kaufman dies in this... Oh, God. Spoiler warning. I'm pretty sure that when Kaufman goes down, there's a quotation from the Ghostbusters theme. It lasts for the briefest of moments, but I'm pretty damn sure it's there. I think all the way around with trauma movies, the mantra is, whoever comes up with the dumbest idea wins. Uh, as for takes, when they're filming the movie, I think they actually, they actually keep the takes that are the worst. If uh, shit's falling out of your mouth, if you slide and fall, that's probably the one that's going to make the final cut. As for the music, I think that's kind of the way they went as well. They wanted just the goofiest shit they could come up with. I really wouldn't doubt if some of the stuff just wasn't as out there as they wanted it, and he had to take it back and make it even, uh, even more comedic and even more ridiculous. After everything's said and done, this is one of the funniest damn movies ever made. And the music just falls right in line with the fact that it has no real themes. It has no real center. It does nothing other than just play off of what it's given at the moment. And that's kind of the beauty of a trauma movie. Even if the story completely falls apart, the beauty of the moment is just spectacular. It's breathtaking. This movie is like the Niagara Falls of movies. There's really nothing else I have to say other than the fact Troma's been doing this shit for so long. They started doing it right in the first place with the Toxic Avenger, with Kabuki Man, with the Surf Nazis, with, you know, Nukem High. They've been doing this shit right ever since. Why, why change it now? It still works, and it's still as goddamn good as when it first started. Nice. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> so, uh, I, you know, I was wondering where he was going to go with that because I couldn't really tell there was any kind of real score to this movie. Well, yeah, apparently there really wasn't. <laughs> not not any overarching score, anyway. Um, of course, uh, Lloyd Kaufman, the man, the myth, the endless shiller of trauma merchandise, directed this movie. Uh, it was written by Daniel Bovin, 
uh, Gabriel Friedman Lloyd Kaufman on a budget uh, of uh, 450k. IMDb gave this a 6.5. And uh, let me ask you: There's only a couple of people that I've seen that starred in this movie that I've that I've ever seen before. And the first one was Lloyd Kaufman, and the second one was Ron Jeremy. <laughs> except for maybe that was uh, Louis Fowler. I'm not sure. Either way, um, let's see. It starred a guy named Jason Yankanen is Arby, Kate Graham is Wendy, Allison Sereboff is Mickey, Robin Watkins is General Lee Roy, uh, Joshua Olatunde, man, I'm doing, these are these are uh, hard names, man, as uh, Denny, Caleb Emerson is Carl Jr., Rose Gavami is Humas, uh, Khalid Rivera is Jose Paco Bell, uh, Joy Joe Fleischacre as Jared or the Megahertz, and uh, Lloyd Kaufman uh, as uh, the Mystery Worker. Let's just say that. <laughs> I love the names, man. I mean, it's uh, it's a completely obvious and stupid joke, but the names just crack me up. You know what? In the first, okay, you know how uh, Fergie mentioned that. Uh, um, Troma has been getting away with stuff that other people just can't get away with for years. Yeah, if ever. You know, they just have not been able to get away with it. They get blasted for it. This is, again, one of those things. I mean, naming naming a character after uh, for each one of the fast food restaurants that's out there. That I mean, that, that and it not being stupid. Well, I mean, maybe it was stupid, but it just so fitting. Uh, perfect. I mean, you had racism. You had sexism. You had uh, shit jokes. You had throw up jokes. You had fart jokes. You had every kind of joke that uh, you would think would just be dumb or potentially offensive. This movie has it, but it just is freaking awesome. Dude, some of those shit jokes, I've never seen anything that vulgar in a movie before. Oh, dude. You see, you practically see butthole splatter, uh, wait, poo splattered butthole. Oh, you told me Jared? Yeah. That was bad. <laughs> Oh my gosh, it had just, I mean, but it was hilarious, you know, I mean, it wasn't like it was, um, obviously it's a trauma movie, no one's watching this movie to be moved, it's not like they're watching uh, The Wrestler or Gran Torino or something like that, you know. Dude, I swear, um, I was going to say The Wrestler, and it's so funny you said that. Really? Yeah, they should have more ball hole splatter in that movie. <laughs> I think Mickey Rourke was down with that. <laughs> uh, you know, you know who else uh, said that if it turns you on, the, this butthole splatter turns you on, then we're breaking up. That was uh, Mickey Rourke um, <laughs> in some kind of butthole splatter joke. Yeah, okay. okay. Uh, anyway, uh, great film. Uh, film opens. Uh, Wendy and Arby are high school sweethearts, and they dis- decide to engage in uh, sexual relation. What am I like a grandpa? I guess so. <laughs> oh, they the have heck? the they have the intercourse. They were they were going to engage in intercourse um, on an ancient Indian burial ground. Uh, and it's funny because uh, you know they're sitting here talking as they're doing it. Uh, promise they'll be together forever. And uh, when a crazy axe wielding maniac shows up with the intent, I assume to kill them. He had an axe. He just was some hillbilly looking guy. Um, anyways, uh, now remind me, cause I watched this last week and as I was writing my notes today, I could not remember why all of a sudden the dead started arising from the grave. I don't think they actually gave a reason for that, did except they, did for they just to st- provide for a, a, uh, butt, plug? a butt plug. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only thing I can think of. 
Well, in okay, so they're they're doing it on the on the grass there on the in the cemetery, and all of a sudden, all these arms come reaching out of the ground. There's this axe wielding maniac, and uh, first of all, uh, the hands were uh, actually enhancing the uh, love making session, shall we say, <laughs> by putting hands in fun places like buttholes. And uh, <laughs> that's the first. Second thing is, is the axe murderer comes up and is about to strike. But one of these hands jumps up his butthole, comes out his mouth, and uh, just kind of wreaks havoc on the dude's body. Well, doesn't, and, doesn't it pull the underwear through his body? Ah, uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, something like that. I can't remember exactly. But you know what? This is one of the top ten greatest beginnings to a movie I have ever witnessed in my life. <laughs> Yeah, this is this is right up there with uh like Shawshank Redemption and um <laughs> like any any Oscar contender. This was this was pretty much on the level. If you, oh, if I think if a movie like Titanic had more uh um hands going up buttholes, <laughs> I think I think they would have won way more Oscars. <laughs> I I totally agree with you there. Uh well, anyway, so Wendy decides that she oh, Wendy's time, she goes off to college while Arby stays behind. About a semester later, um, Arby decides, you know, for sentimental reasons, that he wants to visit the place where he and Wendy copulated. <laughs> Are you uh, <laughs> copulated? That's what I have at my notes. It's like, wh- what am I thinking when I wrote when I wrote these notes? I was at work, so it's like, oh, what, what am I? Do? I don't want to write non-safe for work words. What? <laughs> I, I, anyway. I can imagine your boss like sitting behind you, like reading that. No. Copulated. Oh, uh, uh, he would. He'd be like, he'd just laugh. Anyway. Uh, anyway, so uh, basically, he he showed up to to where the the burial ground was or the graveyard was to find an American chicken bunker, a fast food restaurant, uh, built where uh, the the graveyard used to be. Uh, but what else he finds is he sees a bunch of people who are protesting, you know, this, uh, this new fast food restaurant, you know, obviously, uh, there's, it, uh, you know, doesn't give good food. It's, it's, uh, built on an Indian burial ground. There's a lot to be protested here, apparently. Uh, anyways, he sees, uh, his girlfriend, Wendy, and, uh, she's there protesting the whole thing. And uh, turns out that after one semester of college, she has, quote, been transformed into a left-wing lipstick liberal. Li- li- lipstick lesbian liberal. And, uh, you know, she's making out with, uh, first of all, let me say, let me, let me ask you. I really liked Wendy. Okay? Yeah. You with me on that oh, one? Yeah. What about Mickey? The girl? Yeah. You know what? In the beginning, she didn't do anything for me, but like halfway through, and you know, she took her top off. I was down. <laughs> she gave me the chills, dude. Really? <laughs> no, no, I was down. Da- I was down, man. She was. She wasn't bad looking. <laughs> she, man. Yeah, I guess she's not bad, like as a streetwalker. But <laughs> anyway, uh, okay. So basically, there's a bunch of. Uh, you know, singing and dancing to express, you know, their 
their the situation that's going on. And by the way, the music in this was hilarious. Some of the lines in here was were were totally funny. Uh, anyway, so because Arby gets so pissed off that uh, you know his life, his girlfriend left him to be you know after after or turned to a lesbian right after one semester of college, he decides you know what I'm going to rebel. I'm going to get revenge. I'm going to go get a job at the American Chicken Bunker. So, uh, by the way, one thing that I learned, uh, and, and I don't, I just have to get this, this off my chest now. People, one way to get revenge, it's not worth getting revenge if it involves working at a place like American Chicken Bunker. Okay. The place, like, any, I, I would assume any fast food place, but then again, what do I know? Uh, anyway, so he gets, uh, he gets a job at the American Chicken Bunker. He works with, uh, like we said, guys like Paco Bell, Carl Jr., Hummus and a mysterious 60-year-old man. And all of a sudden, strange deaths start happening, all sorts of dirty jokes, and uh, just some of the most disgusting shit you'll ever see, uh, including a, um, uh, let's see, a chicken copulation. Uh, what should we call it? What should we call it? Uh, uh, he did a chicken, okay. Basically, a, a raw, feathered chicken. Oh, Carl Jr.? A- Carl Jr. did, oh, yeah. and also he got uh, he he also got something rammed up his ass, uh, a broom rammed up his ass that uh, basically um, ended up becoming his wiener <laughs> with the tip on the end of it. <laughs> uh, you, the thing is, I'm I'm explaining this, and basically I, I'm thinking to myself, you know, there's no way people are gonna really get the full magnitude of what's going on unless they see this. Oh yeah, but anyway, um. Bunch of strange deaths start happening. We've got uh, um, the rest of the movie is just filled with uh, musical tunes, uh, sinister plots, angry Indian spirits, uh, chicken zombies, uh, blood splatter, all sorts of fun stuff like that. Uh, like I said, no joke is too low. Um, you know, whatever. And, that, and that's basically the rest of the movie. So, uh, what would you think? You know, I really like this movie, and it, it, I walked away with some awesome lingo. Like, uh-huh. I got the term bumpin' tacos out of this, <laughs> which I plan on using for the rest of my life. You plan on bumping tacos or using the phrase? Using the phrase or bumping oh. tacos. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, but, you know, um, oh, we didn't say last episode, memory count was uh, one. Of, la- oh, of yeah. the last movie, I'm sorry. Um, no, I like this movie a lot, and it, it was definitely, like, I went into this thinking it was going to be, like, stupid trauma. Uh-huh. But I ended up really enjoying the hell out of this because Dude. Yeah. It, it actually, <laughs> they offended every race, religion, political group. I mean, they stepped on everybody's throats. Oh, yeah. And I, and I loved it because they did it in such a, like, a a, a fun, like, juvenile way. <laughs> Apparently, uh, uh, it's it's okay to be racist as long as it's funny. Yeah, or unless the other race is around. <laughs> and then, yeah, then you true. can get shot in the face. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, whatever. <laughs> Not a lot of uh, really deep story. Most of it's just the spectacle of a trauma movie, um, you know. And there's a lot of bizarre uh, little scenes, a lot of boobs, a lot of blood, a lot of basically anything you'd expect in a trauma movie. Except for this is, I think, without a doubt, my favorite trauma movie. Period. I think that's. I think you know what between this. In the Toxic Avenger, I think it's pretty close. Uh, yeah, I do like the Toxic Avenger. I, in, in, 
I can't remember exactly what I gave that when when we when we talked about it earlier, but I I will say that I enjoyed this even more than that. Did did this not seem like it was filmed like at the exact same time? <laughs> I know. Well, they filmed it on a thirty-five millimeter camera. Well, that's so what I mean. Like, like the the film stock was old. I mean, they, it's it seems like uh, it seems like it could have been you know from then. What what, what year was this again? Two thousand eight. Yeah. Oh yeah. I just said two thousand. Oh no, two thousand six. So two thousand six. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is thir- this is thirty years later, practically. Is that right? What what year did that come out? Uh, nineteen eighty something. I don't know. Something. Yeah. So okay, almost thirty years later. If you but um, if you like the charm of a trauma movie, this is for you. I mean, absolutely. You know that stock footage they use in every trauma movie of the car flipping upside down and blowing up. <laughs> Yeah. That was used in this movie, and it was <laughs> the best. I'm not giving anything away because you know yeah. there's no spoiler, but right. it was the best finale I've ever seen because you're <laughs> you're enjoying the hell out of this movie, and then they throw that in there because you forget all about it. And trauma finds a way to work it in, but sometimes it just it just seems thrown in. But this movie <laughs> it works so well because oh, it works so awesomely. Oh yeah, man. You know, there's, I mean, obviously if you're not a trauma fan, you may not like it. And obviously if you are, have a stick up your butt, you're not going to like this. Well, if you literally have a stick up your butt, I'm not going to, I'm not going to make that judgment. But if you are, you know, if if, if you get offended easily, you're probably not going to like this. Um, but, uh, I don't know. Um, let's see. I learned a lot of things actually. What did you learn? Flavor pods, a seemingly awesome idea, actually aren't really that good of an idea. If they're green, well, come on, flavor pods. You can't freaking beat that. Um, let's see. The uh, Lloyd Kaufman continues to outdo himself even at age 60. Uh, and third, always check for teeth in your hamburger from any fast food place. Because <laughs> I might be a, a gay Mexican guy. <laughs> what did he say? Uh, the world's not ready for a gay chicken, a me- gay Mexican chicken <laughs> okay, sandwich. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> is Lloyd Kaufman only 60? I thought he was older than that. No, I don't know. Oh, wow. Say, 60, 60 to me is old, I guess. Well, he's doing pretty good if he's only 60. Yeah. Um, I learned a few things. I, okay. I learned if you want to enlarge your penis, all you need is a broomstick up the ass. <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> yeah. And I learned that there is no such thing as too many titties. <laughs> what would, Mike, like, let me ask you an honest question. Okay. If you had to guess... The memory count on this movie. What would you guess? Oh, 70? Okay. I want to go ahead and say right now that this is from, I think I'm pretty accurate from all the pausing I did. Okay. I came up with 131. Are you serious? 131 memories. And I also got a junk alert of six. A junk alert? Yeah. Did you include the... The cemetery guy? Did you... Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, he had, a, he had some he had an axe, he had some flappy and, balls. Yeah, he had an axe in his hand and his wiener in the other. That's right. I, he had like a, a Muppet wiener. Yeah, and I'm telling you right now, I mean, <laughs> I would say that the majority of the 131 boobs in this were yeah. in one scene. But <laughs> but I will tell you this, that, I mean, you, you can't go wrong with this movie. You have, if you like trauma's kind of humor... You're going to love it. Oh, yeah. If you like boobs, you're going to love it. If you love, I mean, if you love musicals, you'll probably well, love it. Well, the thing is, is it was, it was not only was it like gross and crass and, and good for shock value, but it was actually pretty clever. 
you know, some of the some of the lyrics and the music, some of the lines, you know, and even the acting was over the top. I mean, Wendy was a freaking spaz all the you know the whole time, and it's like it was just funny. It just seemed to fit. You know, what she reminded me of uh, what she Who? she reminded me of Julia Stiles. Oh yeah, because she does. She kind of has that same look where. She's a little tweaked in the face, but not really. Yeah, worse kind of. It's like so odd that they're attractive. <laughs> I thought she was, a, but there's just it's just like from every once in a while, from a certain angle, she looked like she had like a what do you call those things, like a cleft palate or something. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Man, but whatever. Did you get any? Uh, who else said that? I did. Um, let's see. I know it's fattening, but I love the skin. That was uh, Rosie O'Donnell as she opened up her bucket of human babies that she had laid out for dinner. <laughs> Does she eat babies? Uh, you you better believe it. I thought she only ate souls. Oh, either way, <laughs> she has she has souls for uh, for an appetizer. Oh. She likes babies for <laughs> anyway. Uh, and I learned one. Or, sorry, I said one else. Who who else said that? Uh, that reminds me, I need a tampon. It was actually Barack Obama when he learned of the big oil spill. <laughs> Oh, uh, I have one who else said that. Okay. I know somewhere within the bowels of this creature you've become lives the soul of the beautiful racist animal fucking inbred trailer trash I know and love. That is <laughs> the entire world of Britney Spears. Oh, be nice to Britney. Come on, dude. Britney, really? <laughs> Leave Britney alone. Was that you in that video? <laughs> yes. No. I knew it. <laughs> what would you give this movie? Um, let's see. Well, definitely a trauma movie. Uh, I think it also depends on your mood a little bit. Uh, but I give this a mother effing bone saw. I give it a buy. I would give it a bone saw, but it is a trauma movie, so you're not going to always be in the mood for this. Well, me, me, I wouldn't. I agree. Well, no, I, I agree too, but if you're, if you are in the mood, I will say that, yeah, that I, I, I don't know. I, if this movie doesn't. In my opinion, if this movie does not deserve a bone saw, I don't know what does. It's re- it was really fun. It was a fun movie. <laughs> uh-huh. um, but um, did you get a six degrees? Uh, I did. Uh, let's see. Let me see where it is. Ron Jeremy was in Boondock Saints with Willem Dafoe, who was in Spider-Man with Bruce Campbell. He was in Boondock Saints? Uh, yeah, just for a little bit. He was like the, I can't remember, he was just kind of the, the, believe it or not, he played a greasy Italian guy. Oh, wow, that's a stretch. Yeah, really. Uh, I, you know what? I do have a couple kick in the balls. Oh, I didn't get uh, it either. Yeah. Uh, first of all, it's Wendy's lesbian lover from uh, making me watch her make out with a chick because an event like that should be special, and she was just kind of disgusting to me. <laughs> I didn't think she was that bad. Uh, I didn't. I didn't like her. She kind of seemed like a crack whore a little. Well, she was. She wasn't hot, but you got to see her boobs. <sighs> yeah, but. You know what? Again, this is something we're not going to agree on <laughs> because I, she looks strung out the whole time. Uh, she she looks like like people do when they're going to get their when they go to jail and they get their uh, mugshot. <laughs> she kind of looks like a living mugshot. <laughs> That's rude. Uh, for Paco for making me paranoid that there are dudes jacking off of the meat at fast food restaurants. You never assume that, dude. I just assume it. He, you know what's funny is, and this is a true life story. My uncle worked at Arby's once. No shit. He was a, he was an assistant manager. He he goes he leaves. He closes the store. He has a manager still in there. He leaves. Uh, he goes to his car. He he realizes that he forgot something or other. I can't remember what it was. He goes back in, and the manager there was doing a side of ham. 
Like, oh. <laughs> yeah. That's bad. You know what the scary thing is? Is If he didn't get busted, do you think he would have used it? Oh, that's gross. Uh, and, yeah, disgusting. Anyways. You know what? I, I, uh, I, like, when you get a fast food, you got to assume that there's a little bit of ejaculate in all your food. That is disgusting. That's that is probably one of the sickest things in in realizations that uh, that I'm ever gonna have to live with. Yeah, it's pretty gross, but it's probably true. Ejaculate. Yeah. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> oh man. Um, my kick in the balls, if I had to give one, would probably go to Carl Jr. because nice. he was banging the frozen chicken. <laughs> What's wrong with that? Come on. I don't know. There's a little bit wrong with that. (laughs) The frozen chicken? Well, I don't think it was frozen because it was flapping around, but he got his. Uh, Oh, maybe that's just another reason why there's ejaculate in the chicken. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) There's little baby frozen chickens running around. (laughs) Anyway. Um, You know, one thing I didn't get to check out, but I definitely want to. Um, is uh, the DVD on the DVD? Apparently, it has like a poultry in motion, which is uh, uh, sorry, uh, subtitled "Truth is Stranger Than Chicken," which is like an 82-minute feature-length behind-the-scenes documentary. Excuse me, the production, and uh, I think that'd be pretty interesting to do because um, as I was reading on Wikipedia, there were some really interesting ways that they were advertising the movie. You know, went over all the snags. You know that they they kind of went had to go through. Um, apparently, everybody like the the crew on this show. Uh, apparently, they were just big trauma fans and did it all for free. A lot of them, even including the guy who did the uh, Doogie, the guy who did the the wrote all the music and stuff. He he did it all for free, nothing up front. That's pretty cool, you know. And you know, and back to what Ferguson was saying, like you know, I don't really, I'm not a big fan of pop punk, but in a trauma movie, like it doesn't bother me at all. Like it kind of fits. <laughs> I don't. Maybe yeah. it's all the. Ejaculate, I, you know, it's so funny. I don't, I don't. Yeah, I was gonna say maybe it's all the ejaculate going to your head, but <laughs> honestly, I don't even really know. The only the only music I really like cognitively noticed in this was the um obviously the musical numbers the rest of it just kind of off in the background a little bit to me yeah um but anyways apparently they're they're gonna remake this what yeah like on trauma is on well let's see i don't know is lloyd kaufman's on uh on uh last month actually and i got this from the wiki he said that uh he is negotiating a deal with some other studios for a remake of this oh my god so, dude, that guy will sell his freaking mother, you know, for a freaking quarter, but whatever. But you know what, though? I mean, if any movie could benefit from a Hollywood remake, it'd probably be a trauma movie, but I would say a lesser known one, not this. Like, I would say something like, oh, you know what the thing is, it's going to come out, and if it's a big Hollywood studio, it's not going to be the same movie at it's all. It's not going to have and, the charm. No, not even close. And uh, I don't know. I just I don't I don't see that as something that I'm really looking forward to. However, what I am looking forward to is the fact that uh, maybe this will get Lloyd Kaufman some money, so he doesn't have to dip into his his uh, retirement fund to uh, to fund his movie, and which he did. Did he really? This one. Yeah, he paid for it himself basically. He and uh, uh, like another producer did. I'm gonna go ahead and call it right now that Paco Paco Bell. Mm-hmm. He's the. They're gonna. Oh, th- by the way, by the way, thank you for 
for uh, making me aware of exactly which Paco it was. Okay, thank you. Okay. Um, I'm going to go ahead and call right now that when they recast this movie, that his character will be played by Wilmer Valderrama. Is that... Uh, don't tell me. Don't tell me. That's, uh, that's uh, Handy Manny. I don't know what that means. The guy who plays Handy Manny, the guy on that 70s show. Oh, uh, yeah, Fez. Yeah, he's Handy Manny, dude. I don't know what that means. <laughs> oh, man. Look it up. <laughs> Handy Manny. That sounds like a Ron Jeremy film. Uh, it is basically a Ron Jeremy film for children. Oh, what? <laughs> it's, a, it's like a Disney morning cartoon. Nice. Oh, it's a cartoon, <laughs> yeah. really? Yeah. Wow. It's, uh, yeah, it's freaking awesome. I'm really glad that I know that. <laughs> well, I'm sure the listeners are, too. <laughs> yeah. That son of a bitch. <laughs> anyway. Cool. All right, is that all you got? <laughs> That's all I got for this one. All right, we'll be right back to talk about the children. Yes. Yo, is this the drunken zombie voicemail line? Because if it is, y'all guys are massive. They're like the dudes over there at the cadaver lab. They're like, hi, I'm Mike. I like cadaver lab and, and, and dudes, you know? But not like drunken zombie. They're like, drunken zombie's like Dusty Rhodes, baby. Twisted steel and sex appeal, if you will. You see, Drunken Zombie's been podcasting before it was cool to become podcasters, baby. Not like the cheap rate cadaver lab. See, Drunken Zombie is like the WWE, and cadaver lab is like WCW. You know, the the southern group of the of the podcasting community. Not like Drunken Zombie, you know, where we're high class, you know, uh, wheeling, dealing, limousine, riding, jet flying, kiss stealing, baby, son of a good daddy. That's what Drunken Zombie is, if you will. So head over to DrunkenZombie.com for all your horror pleasure. Massive. We are back with the children from 2008. Oh, the best day of the year. And every is heaven. 
keyboardist and movie scoring for quite some time now. It's only within the last few years that his own career as a composer has kind of picked up steam. Stephen Hilton's approach to scoring is, in my opinion, much like Philip Glass's. Um, if you remember back to the Candyman score that Philip Glass did, you had one main theme that was the Candyman theme. It was either played on a piano or a, kind of a toy piano. But for the most part, that's all you had. The rest of the score was built off of these kind of tense clusters of sound uh, that were, for the most part, not musical. They had little to no melody at all. And that's basically what we have here in The Children. It's a technique that composers uh, can try to use, and most of them do a really bad job at it. Here, I think Stephen does an excellent job with this technique in that you create these dense uh, clusters of sound that are not musical. They offer up no uh, melody. For the most part, it kind of goes back to the old school Hollywood films, especially uh, things like Forbidden Planet, where they were really exploring with uh, different timbres of sound, different textures, and coming up with things like the theremin or newer techniques on uh, stringed instruments or electronic instruments. The idea was to create these new sounds that you couldn't identify with. Uh, and in it being a foreign sound, it kind of took you out of your comfort zone. It kind of uh, left you on edge and created more tension. A lot of what uh, Hilton is doing here goes right along with that. The entire score is built off of a D minor. Uh, when the score begins, you have a D minor chord, just arpeggiating. Underneath the chord, when strings come in, uh, they're just playing up and down a D minor scale. It's really basic, but he creates a lot from just that. The whole score is built off of D minor. There's a few moments where he actually moves uh, into F or into A, but those are just notes from the D minor chord. What is really interesting is there's one of the kills in this movie where you're expecting things to get darker and more dense, but when the music comes in, he actually moves it into A and makes it a little more major which normally would sound happier or uh, more bright, not so foreboding, not so dark. Yet for some reason, it doesn't seem too happy. In fact, it actually enhances the eeriness 
of the moment in the movie. He really utilizes textures to create unease. It's a really effective score in my opinion. I think this guy does a great job with it. These minimalist techniques seem to be what he kind of uh, leans toward. Just last year there was a movie in the UK release called Salvage, which I thought was a really good movie that Hilton uh, scored. And for the most part, he kind of follows the same uh, ideas for his scoring. It's a much darker tone to the film, uh, more kind of action. The uh, He never gives the audience something to hold on to, something memorable, like, uh, you know, like a real musical quality, like a song you could hum. He just leaves you with really tense chunks of sound that make you just keep waiting for the payoff when finally at some point it's going to resolve throughout this entire movie it doesn't resolve it finds new places to go without ever giving you anything i think stephen hilton does a really good job and creates some really effective tension and uh, darkness with his score i think overall it it works great with the movie the imdb for this movie is 6.4 this is directed and written by tom shankland the synopsis a relaxing christmas vacation turns into a terrifying fight for survival as the children begin to turn on their parents the cast is eva berthistle as elaine stephen campbell moore as jonah jeremy sheffield as robbie rachel shelley as chloe hannah twainton as Casey and Rafaela Brooks as Leah. And basically, this movie starts off where it's family members visiting the other family members for Christmas, and immediately you're met with a child getting out of the vehicle and vomiting, which you think is because maybe it could be motion sickness or it could be some kind of cold. But Dude, having three kids, you don't freaking need a reason well, yeah, for children and, and vomiting. The mother, they just freaking vomit. Did you notice that the mother, she... Like, goes face-to-face with the child. It's like, what's wrong? But I'm like, he just vomited. He's going to puke on your face. Dude, a puke on the face from a kid is, like, one of the greatest way for a kid to say, I love you. Yeah, if I get puked on the face by anybody, yeah, not really. in the mouth. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I can't wait to have kids. But, um, <laughs> but, you know, and then, so, they go into this house, and they have a teenage daughter who, they're trying to make her over-rebellious. You know, she's right. wanting to meet her friends and stuff and not be with the family. So there's, I don't know. Dude, let me say something real quick. This girl in this movie freaked me out because no lie, when I was in high school, I dated a girl that looked exactly like this girl. She was cute too. Like, and it, like, so they looked so much alike that it was like, I could, it was, I couldn't even really watch the movie without being freaked out. It was only good when she talked because my girlfriend didn't have a British accent. But other than that, wow. Freaky. Well, I thought this chick was... And she was actually pretty close to my age, too. I thought... Because they made her play like a 16 or 17-year-old. She actually was a lot older than that. And I was kind of confused why the whole movie she was walking around in a skirt when there was snow everywhere, but... It's cool. Teenagers need to be cool, man. I don't don't understand teenagers. (laughs) Oh, please. (laughs) Wait till you're as old balls as me. Yeah. <laughs> how, how out of touch you are. About 30 more years to go. Hey, what? <laughs> no, but so, okay, so she, oh, you start off, this girl, she's basically being kind of, I, I, I felt that her uncle was kind of a sleazeball. 
that he well, yeah he he was kind of he was like giving her. her drinks you know and and uh, you know just being cool with her wanting to smoke some weed and stuff like that. First of all, it's not his kid, and second of all, that just seemed a little creepy that uh, that he was so like you know. Well, the first thing he said to her was, "We can drop the uncle." You know, right? Just, just, just call me Robbie. Close. Which you know, Weird. you could tell what was up. You know, she was wearing a low cut shirt, and it just it seemed very obvious and right there in the forefront. But right. also, you have okay, you have the older, not her, but the the younger daughter, but the oldest one of the kids, uh, Leah, uh-huh. and basically she's being creeped out by the other kids because they're all starting to act strange. You know, you have the little. Um, Andy Kaufman, curly haired kid who's banging on the xylophone. <laughs> right. And, um, you know, so there's all this. Thank you very much. <laughs> That's why I call him because he says that. Well, there's, well, yeah. <laughs> Not really. There's, there's very weird, I don't know, there's weird things going on. And basically, you could see how, like a plague, it like goes kid to kid. And it affects. Like them. any disease does. Yeah. And it affects them differently because the older daughter, Leah, she seemed to have some kind of resistance where she could go, she could slip in and out of that. Did you, did mm-hmm. you kind of get that? Like maybe she could, like. Well, I, she, it seemed like, I, I don't know if she, to me, it seemed like she was slipping in and out of it. But the disease seemed to be more of some kind of a psychosis. And whereas, um, the little kids, it just kind of took, took them over and made them distant and, you know, and maybe a little bit uh, psychotic, especially later on in the movie. The the girl that you're talking about, she it didn't seem like she she went in and out of it to me. It seemed like she just had a little bit more control over it, um, you know, and and that it was always there. Yeah. But she was a little more manipulative. You know, and maybe I'm overthinking it, but like I thought maybe because she was like at that point where kids start to change, you know, from maybe from child Could to be. teenager. I thought maybe that she like also known as puberty. <laughs> I thought maybe that that was kind of the reason that she was kind of it could it could have been. I mean, maybe I, I I may have read way too much into it. Well, it's not like they really explained it. So I mean, any hypothesis you come up with, I think, is valid. Yeah, and and that's what I came up with because it seemed like there were scenes where she was acting like a little freak ball, just like the rest of them. But mm-hmm. then there were scenes where she was just she was back to normal, like she wasn't right. the same kid. And mm-hmm. so basically. I don't you you can't explain this movie without giving too much away, but basically these kids are set up to sabotage the parents, and yeah. they start off you know um, kind of building a fort outside and playing in the snow. And while they're out there, they well first of all the cat disappears. Mm-hmm. You see the kid playing with the cat and being real freakish with it. It disappears, and for the first like twenty minutes of the movie, you see the the cat's collar with its name on it hanging from like a like from what their playhouse yeah something where you assume that something bad happened to the cat and they do they do say later that well they don't say it but they hint that the cat was killed because she's like twisting her hands making that that really creepy noise right but okay so basically ah man where do you go with this movie i mean how do you explain this like just like you said i mean it seems like Throughout the movie, the first of all, the the parents are very preoccupied. Oh, you know, very. when they show up at the scene, so it's it's almost like um, here. I mean, God, they 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 each had. I think one one couple had two kids, and one couple had three kids, and they. I guess it seemed like they almost expected uh, to show up at um, 
you know, I mean, and these were people, they, they, these were fairly affluent people, you know, and uh, they, it seemed like they were more interested in their adult things. And one guy kept bringing up his business opportunity, quote unquote, you know, and it seemed like they were just more self-absorbed and they kind of ex expected the kids to, you know, kind of entertain themselves. And I almost, and I, and, and this is probably a little overthinking it too. I almost think that the, that, uh, I mean, I, there was like, uh, uh, like you saw like disease cells, you know, they, they would like flash to some kind of paramecium or some crap, you know, but it almost seemed like the kids were maybe even putting a little bit of rebellion in because of the fact that their parents once they showed up, they just kind of didn't want much to do with them and, you know, and, uh, went along their parental ways. I don't know. Maybe, I mean, that should, I mean, that's something that I thought. I don't really necessarily know if that's what they were going for. But if, if nothing else, the, the parents being self-absorbed gave this disease a little time to incubate. Well, and I kind of thought that myself, um, kind of something along that lines of the fact mm -hmm. that they, they weren't really, they were kind of pawned off on each other. Right. Where they had their own like little I, I don't know what you'd call that like their own little group to where you know the parents basically like you said were self absorbed so the kids had to entertain themselves right and I think that I I definitely think there was a, a disease involved uh -huh. but at the same time I think that you know but it almost made them seem like um, the these kids um not not. To this, and not this obvious, but you remember the old uh, what was that? Uh, Children of the Corn. No, the 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 one with uh, Superman was in it. Christopher Reeves. Oh, and, uh, Village of the, the Damned. Kid. Yeah, Village of the Damned. And they didn't like. I mean, it wasn't like all organized, but it almost seemed like that there was some kind of a of an unspoken pact that was made. You know that okay. You know, almost like the parents are the enemy. We're going to work together to kind of overtake them. You know, and they and they did a little bit. You know, I see that. just I mean, it, it almost like un, I mean, all unspoken, all you know, with a glance or a or a subtle you know body motion or something like that. And it it kind of seemed like yeah, I mean, maybe this disease was something that was attacking their um, you know their brain or some crap, and and basically they were. Uh, it just kind of seemed like they became further detached and unemotional and, uh, you know, just not like kids. Yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know, man. I mean, the kids in this movie were, to me, they were, there was too much going on at one time. They were kind of obnoxious. Mm -hmm. And well, you get that many freaking kids together, you know, and you, and you do, and you kind of just pawn them off. They're going to, I don't, I just don't, I kind of feel like the parents, you know, some of the bad behavior was just because, like, these kids were like, oh, so we're going to be ignored for the rest of the weekend, you yeah. know? I mean, that whole scene at the dinner table where the girl made the, the Leah made the scene, and then right. that, that whole scene, man, just, oh, it's, it really wore my nerves because, and, and that's actually the scene where everything starts actually happening because they go outside right. and the guy, you know, the kids get on the sled and then, you know, um, Ravi meets with an unfortunate fate. Even though he might have been a pedophile himself, well, well, yeah, un un uh, unconfirmed, but still, he was creepy enough. Yeah, but I mean, it was weird because they kept their childish nature, but at the same time, they were very evil. Well, you know, and and I mean, 
here's what kind of came into my mind. It, it was this, this movie was kind of a mixture of The Village of the Damned and maybe a bit of The Lord of the Flies. Just because there there was this, I mean, you know, and obviously not nearly as deep as either. And it just kind of seemed like there was this hierarchy and, uh, you know, with, within the children, you know, a little bit. And uh, they all had one mission, and that was to get the adults. Yeah. I love and, Lord of Flies. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, but, I mean, you know, you know what happened there. They kind of cut off into little groups and they you know they kind of they're kind of forced you know, to their, their little tribal thing and that's almost what the kids did they kind of created their own little thing their own little club or, or whatever you call it their clubhouse was that tent with all the dead shit in it and uh you know it just kind of went off from there and and i don't i just sometimes when i when i watch a movie like this i think that it's you know when it's more psychological and uh, I, I don't find necessarily the the actual, I mean, because there was, I mean, when uh, the sled accident happened, there was some blood and whatever, and there's some other stuff. However, the chilling thing about this was just the un, un emotional responses from the kids. And I think that the kids in this did a pretty good job of, of um, being able to portray that type of thing, and I think that's what made this movie. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, the kids, the kid actors in this movie were pretty good. Um, I don't think any of them were. I don't know. I think they were all pretty good. I think that maybe like the girl played Leah, she may have been a little over the top, but like it, it well, it's what, just all on how you interpret the movie. Because to me, it was. I, I don't know, dude. I've seen kids start freaking out like that for no reason. Oh really? Oh, oh yeah. Well, you need to call an exorcist. <laughs> oh, dude, no, but uh, yeah, this movie seriously, this is a, uh, this is a uh, contraceptive. This movie, <laughs> this helped exactly. Um, but no, I, you know, and I'd never really heard about this movie too, and I was pleasantly surprised. Well, someone so, told me how great this was, and I went into it because I, I had no idea what it was about at all. Uh-huh. And watching it, like as it unfolded, I was like, I really didn't. You know, it felt very Children of the Corn to me. Yeah. Okay. But, and and I, but. It didn't affect me the same way as Children of the Corn, and maybe it's because I don't know. It just didn't have the same effect. And well, I don't think it was as powerful as the original Children of the Corn, to be honest. Well, with it me. seemed very lackluster. This this did. I mean, it seemed mm-hmm. like it was like an isolated incident, but it was more. I don't. I don't know how you would. I don't know how, well, what I'm trying to say. And and I think this was another example of okay, yeah, I had a disease. But how does a disease make these kids kind of turn psychotic? And I don't know. I, I wish they would have connected a few more dots. But uh, maybe that's just me wanting closure or wanting some kind of a of it all spelled out for me, which it didn't necessarily need. But um, you know, that that's really my only complaint about this is that uh, I don't know. You, you see the disease going on, but the reaction doesn't really point to a disease. It points to more of a of a kind of uh, you know, maybe there are diseases out there where people just turn into psychos. Well, the the reason I wanted more like explanation in this movie is huh? because the way it ended, and I don't I don't right. think it'll give anything away to say that it seemed like more than just that her family was affected by this. Okay, because you know the ending like. At first, when I thought it was isolated, I thought it was just between these kids, but then it seemed to be so widespread that. I don't know widespread, but in that town. Well, the thing is, is it was so isolated there, the um, you know, the property that they were staying at, that uh, I didn't really get that, um, that feeling. However, there there could have been one indication where 
um, you know, when the girl wanted to have her friends pick her up. And uh, I don't know if they, I, I don't really know what happened, but that would be the only reason I think that could could uh, have spread elsewhere. Yeah. Or, But other than that, there was no, I, there was really no contact with anyone else. I don't know. I didn't get that same thing. Well, and I thought it was much creepier when it was just their kids. At the very end when, you know, there are kids everywhere. I I just felt like, wh- what are they trying to say now? Like the, it's it's like a virus, like a big zombie virus type thing. Like, I, well, you know what? I don't remember. I don't remember that scene. Was there a uh, more kids than just there? There were like ten kids. Yeah, there were a lot of them. And and oh, and if you remember, you know if what? you remember, there were only there were only like you are right. Yeah, there was only one of their kids alive. You are you're right. Yeah, so there were it was like the whole town, dude. Like and ah, and to me it was like okay, so what's going on here? <laughs> like, did, did, is it in the water? And if it is, how is it only affecting kids? I I didn't understand what they were trying to say. You know what? That's a good point. And I, I watched this over a week ago, so I think you're right about that. Actually, yeah. I mean, hmm. it wasn't a bad movie. I just I really needed more explained to me. Well, you know, you add that to it, and it's like, okay, well, so we saw a little microcosm of what's going on, and now we get an indication that it's more widespread. I mean, that's the same type of deal when you get, like, a zombie movie. I mean, um, you know, Night of the Living Dead, you saw one little part of, you know, the overall of the show. But, but the thing with Night of the Living Dead is it's not so specific. Like, this was saying that it was just kids. You know, it. Yeah. like, that's what that's what confuses me. Night of the Living Dead affected everything. And right, but okay, you know, I mean, I the thing is, is I still, I still think that uh, even though it only affected kids, it's like uh, basically the same type of deal where you know, um, it, it was obviously more widespread than than uh, just this one little spot. But we only get the we only get the um, you know the storyline of that one spot. Plus, um, you know, it's it's. Uh, I don't really know where I'm going with that. It's just, it's obviously one little spot of a of a larger problem, and we don't get any explanation as to what it was. Yeah. In either movie. And, and I think I think I would like that. I mean, in Night of the Living Dead, I didn't need it because that's that's I think the point I'm trying to make is with this one because it was so specific. I think I would like to know why it affected the kids and not the adults. Well, and and I can I can definitely see that. I mean, and I think that uh, I think you bring up a good point with the whole. Um. Uh, uh, what do you call that? Uh, the girl in the middle of the puberty. Yeah. So you know that's a good point. It was. I mean, and and at the end, I mean, she ended up ultimately becoming one of them. I think it seemed like it. She yeah. was very uh, dastardly. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if that's what you would say. I mean, she was. What was she like, Borla, Boris from uh, uh, Bullwinkle? I mean, she. she <laughs> I mean, a little more uh, evil, but it uh-huh. just. I don't know, man. This is a movie, I think, and I watched the features. There were no scenes that explained anything. And I, uh-huh. and maybe I'm just one of those people who, I don't need everything explained to me, but if it's that open, I would like some kind of closure. Okay. You know, a little bit. And I didn't hate this movie at all. I mean, but at the same time, I didn't love it because mm-hmm. of that. I feel I feel if they gave me some kind of explanation, I probably would have been like, oh, okay. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I didn't really, I didn't really mark that against it. However, I, I don't think this was the greatest movie of all, but, um, I think it's definitely worth a watch. I mean, I'd give it a red box. I'd give it an AMC. I mean, because there was, there was not enough gore for it to be edited, you know, cut up real bad. That's true. That's true. Too. Um, 
Did you get any? Uh, who else said that? Uh, let's see. No, but I did get one kick in the balls. Who's that? Uh, have you ever been in a situation where's that that one guy that keeps wanting to bring up his great business proposition and he wants your money? Yeah. Oh my freaking crap! That dude was an. Was ass. that Jonah? I the, yeah the other he guy the I can't remember his name but yeah I I've been in that situation and it's like you just want to say shut up I'm not going to get involved in your stupid ass idea now leave me alone but so he gets a kick in the balls. I, I would give the kick in the balls to Chloe she was the she was the aunt the the mother of the three demon kids and <laughs> you know and the only reason is and I don't know anything about maternal instincts but when your kid tries to stab you to death. Trying to protect your kid in the next scene just doesn't make sense to me. Oh man! I mean, if I can't, if I can't, that's a tough yeah. One. I mean, if I, I can't say I've never been there, but if my kid tried to stab me, I wouldn't try to protect them in the next. You know, it would be scary. Uh, It'd be hard to. Well, the thing is, is you know, with a kid, I'd be, I, I think, you know what? There's, there's something wrong with this kid that I've, and I've got to protect this kid from hurting anybody else as well as hurting himself. Or man, I don't know. I can see anyway. that. Um, yep. Who else said that? Um, granny fell off the toilet. That was the <laughs> eulogy that Uncle Jed gave when Granny died on the uh, uh, Clampets. <laughs> Great. And uh, one more. Did you ever hear of contraception? That was the whole world to Kate Gosselin. <laughs> <laughs> I actually get that. Fine. That's awesome. I get, I get a, a reality TV pop culture reference. Thank you very much. I get it. Hey, did, Hilarious. Did you learn anything? I, um, I learned that uh, exactly what I need to look for, you know, that look in the eye, the vacuous look in a kid's eye um, when they're about to go ape shit on me. <laughs> I know I learned to start looking out for that. Yeah. They'll come at you like a spider monkey, dude. You got to just bat them away. <laughs> that's, that's especially uh, appropriate for uh, my two boys. They are spider monkeys. So there you go. That's awesome. Um, I learned there's no tasteful way to talk about BJs in front of your kids ever. <laughs> Ever. I did not understand that. She's like, what does BJ mean? She goes, oh, that's bubbly jam jams. Or, I'm like, really? Yeah. You just don't say it for your kid, you know? <laughs> yeah. You're going to, at some point, be like, oh, okay, well, i got to be an adult about this. Um, yeah, and, and the thing is, is I didn't like that part because it kind of irritated me because they thought they were being so, like, so naughty by talking about that in front of the kids. And, oh, how look how naughty we are. And I was like, shut up. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and say it now, though. I would not refuse a bubbly jam jam from either one of those women. Well, <laughs> neither would I. But the point of it is, there's kids in the room. Yeah, I understand. Don't try to be don't try to be clever at the expense. No, I know. And I also learned one last thing: that kids ruin every situation. <laughs> hey, hey, yeah, that's true. I'm just joking. Um, but um, I, there was a memory count of zero in this. I can't hold it against the movie because the, it didn't really present an opportunity for boobs. Well. Exactly. I mean, it could have, okay. but it would have went. Well, it could have, but it, yeah. I mean, this is a pretty. I don't know. I don't. I, no, I agree with you. I don't want to talk about it. I have a six degrees. <laughs> sure. Rachel Shelley, who played Aunt Chloe, she was in the L Word with Pam Greer, who was in Escape from L.A. with Bruce Campbell. Well, there you go, <laughs> man. So, you got anything else for this movie? Oh, uh, no, man. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, you want to talk about the next episode? Yeah, so uh, what do we have going on? I think the next episode we're going to do an episode about the director, Lucky McKee. And you know what's going to be great about this episode? What's that? 
is uh, that not only are we going to be talking about the movies, is that Johnny's going to give us a little background on Lucky McKee himself. <laughs> you may do that right now. No. Okay. I can wait till the next episode. Or, or, oh, 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 yeah, let's let's wait till the next episode because, uh, yeah, this one's running a little off. All right. Well, the next episode we will talk about the movies of Lucky McKee. And how Johnny made a dumbass out of himself in front of Lucky McKee. <laughs> It'll be awesome. Cool. All right, cool. So I want to thank everybody. We both want to thank everybody for the voicemails. Freaking awesome. Um, voicemail line. 206-339-2730. God, you think I wouldn't have to... Uh, Struggle to remember it after all these episodes. <laughs> We're only like two zero six three three nine two seven three zero. Yeah, no doubt. Um, let's see. Is there anything else? We got the next next episode coming up. We know we don't. Uh, let's see. Is there anything else we need to no, talk about? I think that's We're going to post some co- some contests on the forums. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Be on the lookout for those. <laughs> Johnny. Cool. If Johnny doesn't space hey, it, I'll do it. I'm just teasing. Awesome. All right. So uh, for the cadaver, we'll see you. Cheers.